Hey listeners, it's Alex, your host of EOA Entrepreneurs of Asia, a show where we have genuine conversations with founders, investors, and entrepreneurs about their journeys and the lessons they've learned, highlighting the depth and nuance that Asia has to offer. For today's episode, I sit down with one of my besties, the master of the high ground, Dave Chang. This episode was a doozy. It's a four-hour podcast broken down into two parts. Dave starts off with his investment thesis that he's been developing over the past few years called the Unified Bundling Theory of Economics, or in other words, Technologically Driven Bundling and Unbundling Theory. For the first half of part one, Dave explains on a very high level the historical context of his idea, and then we explore it in the world of media, from gaming to music, movies, and e-commerce. In the second part of the episode, we hear about Dave's background from being born in communist China and how he ended up being raised as a Midwest all-American kid. Dave is also a survivor of the War of a Thousand Competitors in the Group by History of China. He's a part of the Groupon gang that was under Groupon International and run by Rocket Internet vis-a-vis the Samware Brothers back in 2010. Dave shares his experience and what happened in Groupon China and a bit of Rocket Internet history and philosophy. After that, he recounts his tales building a Korean beauty startup and how he would do it all over again. He also shares the most important thing he learned from Groupon, his experiences working in America's famous satire news outlet, The Onion. And lastly, towards the end, we get a little bit more philosophical and discuss the best way to do good for the world. This was one of my favorite podcast sessions thus far, and I learned a lot. So let's dive right in and listen. Dave Chang, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Good to be here. Yes. uh, Cheers. I'm very excited that we finally got to do this. Yes, so let, let me give a brief introduction to Dave. Uh, Dave, my good friend of many years now, right? Uh, I think we met four or five years ago yeah. at, a, at an, an Amazing Grace event, and we were yeah. both like lonely and had no one to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I make most of my friends. And honestly, uh, everyone, it's always these networking things for business or entrepreneurship. And wow. yeah. I always find the guy who's like, he looks pretty antisocial. Let's, let's let's talk to him. Yeah. And yeah. Then, then it usually works out. We become good friends. <laughs> I thought the same thing about you. You were like, I remember because you were sitting in like the Starbucks next to where the event was taking place and you were like by yourself at the table by the window. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, I have to engage someone. Yeah. So I might as well meet this guy. <laughs> but you're okay. So before we get into you, yeah. I'll, I'll give a quick brief bullet point uh, profile of who you are, your experiences, so people have an idea. Sure. So they know where the kind, kind of heading. Uh, born and raised in where? Uh, well, so it's an interesting question. I was actually born in Qingdao, Qingdao China, 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 Qingdao of the famous Qingdao Brewery, and okay. I immigrated to the states when I was five and a half. Five and uh, a half. Five and a half. Yeah. Okay. We moved to. Uh, there's a whole story about that if you yeah. want to get into it. But my parents were um, researchers, yeah. so my father was doing his postdoc uh, in Oklahoma. Okay, of Midwest. All yeah, in Oklahoma of all places. And uh, I moved there, lived in Oklahoma for about a year and a half. And then we moved to Wisconsin. So, yeah, okay. uh, you know, very Midwestern. Yeah, so es- essentially grew up though in, mis- in uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, effectively, correct. Yeah, so uh, Wisconsin, I guess, raised in a sense. You can say raised. Yeah, I, I think, Wisconsin I think, raised. Yeah. 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 Uh, then went to University of Minnesota, yeah. right? Uh, did some finance work, but uh, I think the one that's more notable is you worked for The Onion. That's true. I did work right? for The Onion, yeah. Then you did uh, Gaopeng, which was Groupon in China. Yep. After that, Living Social. Yep. Genting Casino Hotel and Resort. I don't know the, f- the actual full name. Essentially, it's like 
So, I mean, so, I mean, it's 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 a conglomerate. It's a conglomerate. Right? So yes. I mean, there's there's like a bazillion different companies that yeah. you could potentially entities you work for. So I, the one I worked for um, was called Resorts World Inc. And yeah. what they effectively did was they, um, it's this really strange structure where all of the subsidiary companies of Gunting don't yeah. own the uh, licensing and brand rights to the mm. Resorts World brand. They mm. actually license it from the family and the family has set up this oh, entity called okay. Resorts World Inc., yeah. which collected the license fees from the various publicly traded entities ah, and then they okay, plowed okay. that back into R&D, some venture capital, uh -huh. uh, and sort of like it was like a almost like a shared services type thing. Yeah. But again, operated independently. Yeah. Um, there's, there's obviously a lot yeah. that we can talk about there as well. I guess they're more famous in Malaysia, but honestly, they have a giant global footprint to to a degree. I mean, they, they have through affiliates, like you said, like some some form of yeah licensing and, and doing business around the world. Well, uh, they just yeah, correct, correct. Yeah. I mean, they, they just opened up their their new property in Las Vegas, which is like a four point three billion uh, okay. USD development, and I believe it's like the first uh, new casino that's opened up wow. on the strip okay. in like. I, I'm not, I'm yeah, years. a long time. 15, 20 years, right? Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. a big deal. It's yeah. a big deal. So it's definitely like the yeah. story of um, like a regional player with like these huge global ambitions. Uh, re regional from uh, Southeast Asia. Yes. Uh, yeah. That, that global, correct. Yeah, yeah, Southeast correct. Asia. Yeah. 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 Correct. So then after that, you were Althea, which was a Korean beauty startup, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that sounds. And then what are you doing now? <laughs> I, I, I really <laughs> cannot keep is, track of that this. That is a mystery. Yeah, everyone, you, you left it out of your profile on LinkedIn. I haven't updated my LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, I need to do the same probably. Yeah, same. Everyone has this problem, right? Yeah. Like, um, so long story short, I basically work uh, for a publicly listed company in Hong Kong that's in the middle of transitioning from a traditional business of like print and print production into mm. a media holding group. Right. Okay. So, uh, basic, okay. uh, similar to a SPH in Singapore, something similar. Although, like, we're predominantly interested in owning and investing in IP. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. and I have a there's like a there's like a whole like economic yeah. theory that I've actually okay, yes. developed for okay. you. Yes. We're, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> to next. Talk about this. Yeah. 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 So, so um, long story short, so we we manage and own IP in the U.S. and in mainland China. Those are two yeah. primary markets. Um, and so we essentially want to be um, far upstream. So yeah. in the U.S., we buy uh, screenplays, uh, so TV mm. uh, pilots and movies. Yes. And we flip them to downstream um, suppliers okay. or players. So like why, why haven't we done? Why haven't we done more screenplays and writing, Dave? Ah, uh, because I'm like a finance guy. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, what is okay? What is people need boxes, right? What what is your title? What, what exactly is your role in this kind of uh, IP conquest? So technically, my official title at the group level is I am the head of strategic ventures. Okay, very Sorry. fancy. Yeah, it's very fancy. It, it, it yeah. bas basically, it's a catch-all for every new project that the group wants to do okay. that you can't clearly yeah. box, okay. right? But I, I think like if you, for the, the listeners, if you really want to apply that heuristic, right? Um, I would say numbers guy. Numbers. Okay. Numbers. I started off in finance. Yeah. That was my first job, majoring in finance. I always worked in sort of like an analytics role. Like yeah. even at the Korean beauty company, I was in digital marketing and digital marketing is just straight up. Performance numbers. It's performance numbers. Data. Right? Yeah. yeah. Correct. 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 Right. Yeah. So optimization. Yeah. So at the group level, what I do a lot is I do a lot of the analytics for our portfolio companies, uh, a lot of like the market intelligence research. And also uh, the other big part of that is I do a lot of the business negotiations. So yeah. like that's the other half is like, kind of like a bd mm. uh, i don't want to say sales because you know sales has like 
has an implication. Yeah, I know what you. It has mean. an implications, right? Yeah, it has, it has yeah. Impl- has, but you're more than that. Yeah, I mean, because you're you're putting a lot of different skills together to probably come to conclusions of how to execute on what they want to do for the portfolio and the development, Correct. right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, okay, so before we jump into what I wanted to talk about, <laughs> you prepared something. So let's let's just go straight to that. Right? Oh, so we're going straight to that. Okay. Yeah, we're, and this is this is about because otherwise I don't know how to fit it in, right? And we're we're talking Fair. about your current role, your current Fair job. Enough. Fair enough. Um, Okay, what what do you want to talk about? What what are, what are we bringing to the table here? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, like you didn't give me any any brief, or I mean, I have a little bit of context, right? Yeah. So so, and I think this is uh, so for me, this is exciting. This, this is my first podcast, actually. I've never done. We're before. breaking the podcast cherry. Yeah, I'm breaking the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and uh, I think you've had some like very thoughtful and insightful people, and it's like this is a certain bar, right? You don't want to okay. be the guy that shows yeah. up and be like. We gotta raise. We gotta raise the bar. Yeah, the standards. Yeah. So the standards that people need to adhere to. Um, and actually, I, I, so I found this exercise to be incredibly valuable because what it forced me to do is it forced me to sort of codify and write down yeah. like my operational hypothesis strategy over the last couple of years, which is yeah. something that I've never done before. Yeah. Right. And I think it's one of these things where I don't think I'm unique. Where it's like you only really understand something when you have to explain it to someone else the Feynman technique yeah exactly right? you, you, yeah. you know break it down as simple as possible to understand it uh, you have to re- break it down again learn the smaller parts and then the I guess the the, the one that closes the loop is you teaching it in a simple Correct. way to like someone who's like maybe six years old or whatever, right and Correct. if you could do that you've mastered exactly something. yes and yes. that's okay. that's true mastery yes. true understanding exactly. right that's exactly where we're going yeah and so and I've been operating with this uh, like hypothesis, but again, this is the first time I've ever put it down. So, and this is the first time I've, I've actually talked about it okay, to perfect. anyone. So I've stress tested it in my mind. Yes, but I think this is a good opportunity for both yeah, of we'll us put it to, out there. to toss it out there. Okay, so I call it, <laughs> you know, it's a working title: my unified bundling theory of economics. Okay, okay, and I'll get in with that. Okay, means, right? I hear the word bundling. Uh, is there going to be some concepts we uh, you read from Shetetri? Or separate? Well, I mean, so here's the thing, right? Like, I think I haven't, yeah, that's, I, I haven't deep dived into that, so I don't I don't know too much about bundling and bundling. But we will be talking about that probably next week. <laughs> Let's talk about yeah. it. Yeah, so we yeah. can start now. We can start now. Yeah. So, uh, so first of all, it's not an original idea, right? I think all ideas are built on scaffolding of, of course, people's yes. thoughts, right? Yes. So I'm, yeah. I'm not claiming that this yes, is like yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. like genius, insightful, yeah. whatever, right? So I actually stole this from Jim. Barksdale, Jim Barksdale and Mark Andreessen. So Jim Barksdale okay. was the CEO of Netscape. Yes. 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 And he, Jim Barksdale famously once said that the only way to make money in business is either via bundling or via unbundling. Okay. Right? So he's the one who probably coined, popularized this he, idea? He, he was the originator, I believe. And I think that the story is, and then Mark Andreessen is probably more commonly associated with that, but that's, I think, mostly because Mark Andreessen's also a much higher name, name, right? Brand recognition. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting because he was actually, it was like a throwaway line. Yeah. Right? Because people were asking him a question at the time about Microsoft. And then, like, oh, what are you going to do about Microsoft? And if Microsoft builds their own browser. Yeah. And then he tossed it out there. And that was like their last line. That he mm-hmm. said before he got on the plane to leave, yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. So anyway, so I took that and I, I sort of applied it and fleshed it out. So the basic thesis is that business cycles. Uh, I mean, first of all, this cycle to business, right? You yeah. have like a long-term debt cycle, your short-term debt cycles, okay. economics, all that stuff, right? Yeah. But essentially, technology, what it does is it enables cycles of what we're going to call bundling versus unbundling, and that either unlocks large economic value or is value destructive, right? And both to two sides of the same coin. 
Yeah. So, yes. yeah. so okay. I'll give you, so let me, let me walk you through an okay. example, right? So let's take uh, 1800s US, right? Okay. So go back in history a little bit. So we, we've gone through several cycles of this already, of in course. America at least, right? Industrialization and whatnot. American, yeah. if you can't tell, right? So yeah, we're both, yeah, we're both American. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I apologize if the references are a little bit ethnocentric, but yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so in the 1800s, uh, the US built a lot of transportation networks. So like trains, waterways, Correct. Uh, all that stuff, right? And there was a great unbundling that happened there, which is essentially you took the location of production and uncoupled that from the location of consumption. Okay. So avocados in Wisconsin, right? Like okay. no longer could you only consume just the things that okay. were produced within like a 50 or so, 30 uh, square mile radius of where Agricultural you unbundling. Agriculture is a pro- is the predominant example, but it theoretically yeah. applies to everything, right? Yeah. Like well, any well, any, okay. any goods and service. Yeah. Like like let's say you wanted um, a new jacket. Yeah. Right. Like, unless you were like very 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 wealthy or very privileged, right? Yeah. You're generally not going to you want to go to like, a tailor. Lo- yeah, local tailor. Yeah. Like a local service provider of some sort, right? Okay. So there was a great economic unbundling, right? Because you you now differentiate it. You've managed to delineate your place of production yeah. from your place of consumption. So which this is, is driven by the industrialization, essentially, of roads, America. Transportation. So the, te- transportation, the driving technology. Yeah. yeah, so okay. technology is the driving undercurrent underneath all this, right? So okay. roads, yeah, trains. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, trains, right? Yeah. And so that goes on for however many years. And then what eventually leads to is uh, companies begin to understood that the most economically efficient way to compete or to create value is vertical integration. Right. Okay. Well, and so that was, yeah. that was a great bundling. So we went so, from uh, bundled production consumption yeah. to unbundling or back to bundled okay. again. So right? give, give us the, the hard example for the audience to visualize. So like the Ford Motor Company yeah. in the 1900s is like the best example of this, right? So for a long time, Ford owned the, like the steel ore, the mines, okay. they owned the processing plants, they owned okay. the production plants. So they they uh, vertically integrated the supply chain, the, everything. The supply chain. They own as much as they can for the end product. Correct. Which I guess uh, at scale allows for a lot of uh, economies of scale power. Exactly. Right? It comes yeah. Efficiency. Yeah. Yeah. Efficiency. Efficiency. And, yeah. Correct. Exactly. Right. Uh, I mean, they even, even went so far as Ford were like, this is really interesting. If you look at Silicon Valley today, um, they were like the originators of like this nanny company idea for its employees. Right. Uh, nanny idea being. So you know how in like Silicon Valley in, in Western tech companies, right? Uh, the perks, that ah, yes, most tech employees, you know, yeah. I want to have catered lunch, dry cleaning, you know, so you're looking at like yeah. your, your employer as a caregiver. They're taking care of like both yeah. your um, professional needs as well as your personal needs. This is the the idea of um, a company man. Correct. Right? Correct. Which which is interesting. Like the, the TV show I was watching, I was telling you about The Patriot, right? Uh, ah. McMillan in Wisconsin, right? Uh, yeah. What's a McMillan man? Uh, what's a company man, essentially? Like you're, you're this uh, guy who belongs to the company. You worked there your whole life. Correct. They take care of everything. Right? Correct. Like, the kind of concept. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, that, that's completely evolved. And this is the whole rise of... Um, Management theory, even yep. right, and all, all this t- ties along with, I guess, this, uh, these kind of vertical companies. And I guess you're right. You're saying it's not like too much of a new idea, right? Exactly. Well, I mean, that's, yeah. that's my entire premise, right? Yeah. Is everything here is cyclical? Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, so Ford, they took this to the extreme. They built like entire towns and villages for their factory workers. So you like outside of the Ford plant mm-hmm. in Detroit, you would have like a like a whole yeah city yeah and this is all ford employees and yeah. they have like their housing the commissaries their whatever you know yeah. was taken care of yeah right um and so then we had that vertical integrated approach for a long time right through yeah. the 1900s 
Uh, but obviously, there's, there's certain weaknesses inherent in the system, right? Yeah. Essentially, because you optimize for production and supply chain, you uh, unoptimize for consumer experience and satisfaction. Yeah. It's, a shitty, it's, it's a bad experience, right? Mm. It's a famous quote. You can have any color you want as yeah. long as it's black. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, so then we go through this cycle. And then what happens in like, certainly the 1960s and 1970s probably, right, is advances in information technology basically uh, allow for the decoupling of it's another optimization again where you're decoupling the means of supply from like one vertically integrated entity globalization is essentially what we're talking about we're talking about offshoring yeah. like, okay right yeah so now as a, like i'm forward okay i don't want to make my tires right i don't want to own steel mills i'm gonna just do okay what yeah. i focus on which is uh creating the cars and i'm gonna offshore like my mine and everything you know well essentially you're talking about this capital formation Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Correct. So essentially, we've uh, industrialization is a form of cap, cap, you know, capital formation where the, these kind of big vertically integrated. Essentially, the reason why you have the Gilded Age, uh, the Rockefellers yep. and the tycoons, correct. All these kind of things. Uh, that wealth starts to unbundle. Is what you're saying in the next correct. cycle, driven by technology. Yeah. Driven, okay. Is, okay. Driven by communication technology. technology. Yeah. Right. And so then, so we now we've unbundled again. Yeah. Right. And we've diffused. Uh, but then what happens? Well, let's, let's, let's think about there more. Uh, what sure. ti- what time period are we at now? We're we're talking like somewhere between like the cycle of like say I mean I don't remember exactly when globalization officially starts, but I think it's like 1970s or so. Okay. Right? Okay. And we're at the point okay. now where we're kind of questioning and this this fundamental assumption. Well, again, right? essentially, right? So yeah. we've gone through a multi decade process where we've transferred huge amounts of wealth to probably China is the biggest one to say, which is uh, tied to this idea of tec- technologically driven decoupling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, unbundling, I guess yes. you could say. Correct. Uh, that we're, you know, you it's almost like an arbitrage. It is an arbitrage. It's an arbitrage. That's right? it's labor arbitrage. Yeah. That's exactly what yeah. it is. Labor, which is yeah, it was labor arbitrage, and then. Um, China now has accumulated all that wealth. Correct. That wealth is going back into the world, right? Correct. Like they, they're, but the way they're manifesting it, and this is like the Peter View, Peter Thiel framework, yeah. is um, indefinite pessimism. They're they're always trying to copy ideas and catch up because they don't have enough, right? Um, so they they they're trying to, you know, I don't know, they captured that wealth and they they spread it out in that in that kind of manner where they they need to uh, still still I don't know develop the economy in such a way. I think we're on a transition point though where. It might be people need to start shifting back to what Peter Thiel says: uh, definite optimism, mm, where you, yeah. you 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 think of how the future should be, then you go build it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So essentially, that's the the decoupling, I guess, with, with China and what we're seeing today. Right. Well, I actually had it. So that that's a that's an interesting point. Let's let's let me finish my okay, sure, 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 point, yeah. and then I think we'll go back to that one. Okay. Because right? I think we we're, we're close. We're close, mm-hmm. right? So we had uh, the decoupling, and then so it's specialization of companies, right? So that's correct. You go from vertical to horizontal, so you get something like a GE, which is in like you know it's GE Health, GE Appliances, they were in TV, right? So okay. all related. Yeah. You know, but the horizontal, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is then you come into this like uh, landscape of gatekeepers where basically your distribution, your production, your distribution, and your consumption are now decoupled, which results in a subpar okay. customer experience, right? Have you ever done any shopping well, that, in well, the that, US? That follows what, like, tr- that follows international trade, trade theory, mm-hmm. uh, globalization, essentially, what we're saying. Yeah. Globalization. Like, yeah. Like yeah. It's a specialization, specialization, globalization. And you essentially, I mean, in theory, it's more efficient. Well, here's the thing. This is this is this right. is this one, my point. And this is where we finish it. And okay. this brings back to the current day. So we had that. That was like the '90s. Yeah. Right. Global. Like that '90s was the heyday of globalization. Early to early aughts. Yeah. To a certain extent, right? Yeah. And then uh, essentially, what happened is uh, everyone realized that 
for a variety of reasons that there is this, this model is problematic to, to a large extent, right? Well, I mean, it's tested with the recent shocks that we've been having in the past decade, right? Even before that. F financial, yeah. well, I guess, really? Yeah. What, I mean, what, think, yeah, think, okay. about, think about a DTC brand. A DTC brand. A direct-to-consumer direct direct yeah. brand, right? So to use the car example, right? Again, sorry for the US-centric uh, analogy, but like buying a car in America in the 90s was awful. Right, you have to go to like a dealer. You have mm -hmm. to negotiate with like some you know car sales guy who may or may not give you proper information. Yeah, yeah. It was it was, it was yeah, an awful correct. experience, awful awful experience. Right, and that's because Ford didn't care. Ford didn't own the dealerships. They just yeah. sold the cars to the dealership. Yeah. And ultimately, the dealership they solved distribution for the cars. Exactly, yeah. solved distribution for cars. But then the the natural end point is that let's take like a Tesla. Tesla has taken that and reintegrated everything again. Right, so now one company owns everything. Well, that's right? an interesting story. How, how did Tesla get past the lobby? I think they to go so, direct. So I think and Tesla I, is like an interesting point because I think they had to, right? Because everything they did was so new that if yeah. they didn't do it themselves, yeah, yeah, no one yeah, was going to yeah. do it for them. That's a good so point. So it's necessity. Yeah. yeah. So I think Tesla's necessity. But the point. So Tesla's an example, right? But the point is like we're back on this trend of rebundling. Yeah, okay, yeah, correct. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. DT, I'm using these as an example, and so of course, you know, it, different. Industries uh, and different uh, economies are in different stages, and so my thesis is to really, truly do well financially. You have to be able to identify where we are in the respective cycle Fair for enough. a specific industry yeah. and understand how to optimize that. Yeah. Right. So as that relates to media, which is sort of like where I operate, and to a certain extent, e-commerce. Right. Yeah. So let me use newspapers. Right. So uh, yeah. as an example. So I'll keep this shorter. So newspapers for a long time. Uh, was um, bundled by location again, right? You consume the local news, right? Bundled also by the physicality of how much paper you would hold and read. Also that, yeah, yeah. yes, real estate, yes, yeah. correct media. Um, and then the telegraph was invented, and theoretically, you could now print news from anywhere in the world because True. it's easy to transmit information. Yeah, correct. And then the method of control became distribution, right? Yeah. So what a, news, a traditional newspaper agency or company did was the combined distribution, production editorial and advertising into a bundle yes, and that correct. was a business model yes and that's the business model that google and facebook destroyed yeah. right they took that they, yeah. they took distribution costs so all the distribution yeah. and investment that the traditional media companies had invested in was now worthless essentially right because yeah. anyone can go on the internet and google whatever yeah it doesn't matter right uh so they unbundled that the unbundled the distribution uh, of the content the information age the information age. yeah correct correct the growth of the internet the growth in the, in the 90s and beyond yeah that was a great unbundling of the 90s and the early aughts, yes, right? correct. But now what we're seeing again, we're seeing the inverse of that. We're going back on the other way of that cycle where things are rebundling again, right? So like take like entertainment companies, like Netflix or Spotify is a great example, well, right? They've taken this information or this content and now they're recreating these bundles for consumers. To, to a degree, right? It's, I, I think we're not fully there in the cycle. I, still, I think we're still going through a phase where you're going to see these kind of um, vertical pieces in the media industry or, or other things mm -hmm. in this technology cycle that we're talking yeah. about, right? Uh, we still haven't seen the bundle. Like no one's giving me an, like I, I literally subscribe to a four or five different sure. TV subscriptions. Sure. No one's giving me a bundle of that or even the sub sub of those, like within those five platforms, I only want these shows, Specific, yes. right? So like, we're still not even at the point where, um, it's going to be further bundling, which, which do you think it's going to head there or? I think so. That's where we're headed, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that this is like, yeah. uh, it's not like there's no endpoint or yeah. I'm not saying this is the endpoint, right? But that's like the large macro direction that I see. I mean, it's really interesting that you talk about that because did you see just like, I think yesterday, Netflix announced they were getting to gaming. 
I did not know that. Okay. They were they're developing first their and, own first party uh, games. Also, Valve yesterday or this morning, I guess, in released Asia, a handheld. Yes, a handheld. They, they yeah. call it a, which ironic they call it PC. It's literally just a handheld console that's bigger, right? That's <laughs> which, yeah, that's which a, I, I that's guess, 100% what it is. <laughs> which, well, if you think about what we're talking about in that, in that context, which technology is driving what? It's the it's internet and processing speed. Processing speed, right? But it's uh, for for them, it's 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 no di- like the console. It's literally no different as a computer. There's a blurred line now. The processing power is so powerful that Correct. like like there's this kind of separation of category back in the '90s for gaming. Like yeah. you have console and PC. Yeah. But now like your phone could be as powerful as the games you would probably want to play currently. Uh, That's an interesting point. Theoretically, so so the gaming industry. And this is like, I mean, this, this is one why I like the topic yeah. because it's so nuanced. Like any of yeah. these specific stuff, like music, yeah. movies, streaming, gaming, yeah. they're all such interesting and nuanced uh, businesses, yeah. right? So gaming in particular is actually one of the most interesting ones of them all. Yeah. Uh, one, because I play games. So yeah, that's like personal interest, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but two, it, it, it's, I find the entire thing incredibly fascinating because this is the one industry where you have an artificial not artificial, but like an external constraint built into it, which is basically the entire landscape resets every seven years. Mm. A new a new generation of consoles. Okay, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Technological, technolo- technological shifts or technological innovation drives new technologies or n- new hardware capabilities yeah. traditionally, right? Traditionally, it was hardware-driven. Yeah. And then every seven years, you, you start over again. So it doesn't matter if Nintendo was a market leader through Gen 1 through Gen 2. PlayStation yeah. came along, knocked them off their throne yeah. for a long time. Right, and the Xbox is now, and they're yeah. all competing in these different, uh, you know, ways. And so, to your point about the hardware question and accessibility, and and right, so this is a great graph uh, out there. I, I'll send it to you later. Basically, shows the addressable market size based off each generation, each innovation, and how much of a market is accessible yeah. based on certain uh, adoption of new technology. Right. So, gaming traditionally was arcade driven. Yes, correct. You go to arcade, you know, whatever. Right? And that was like very small. So yeah. uh, people can't see it because we're talking, but it's like this very narrow little gap. Yeah. Right. And then consoles came along. And so consoles took that and increased it to like this. Yeah. Right? So, so that was like they the took big, a bigger chunk. Bigger, yeah. bigger chunk. Right. And then uh, computers, PC gaming became more widely adopted. And correct. More, and that increased it again. Yeah. Right. And then finally we have mobile. Yeah. So mobile is now like 46% or 47%. I can't remember the exact stat of all gaming. But those are also very distinct customers right because those first three groups yeah. are typically more what you call like a hardcore triple a gamer right yeah where the mobile what mobile actually unlocked isn't it didn't take hardcore gamers so much to mobile as it took people that wouldn't traditionally play games yeah. and made them gamers and that Correct. was a big unlock of mobile well there's also i mean it put more gamers into one area because there's so many types of gamers from like casual gamers, board gamers. Yes, accessibility. And, yeah, accessible. Made it accessible. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, because yeah. you didn't need to buy yeah. a specialized or dedicated machine Correct. to do it. Yes. Right? Everyone, has yeah, yeah. Everyone has a phone. Yeah. You just open up and play Candy Crush or yeah. whatever the hell you want to play, right? So let's put the, this gaming context in. Put, let's, put, let's put this gaming idea in the context of your framework of technologically driven bundling on bundling. Yeah, so this is a really interesting question, right? So gaming has traditionally been a very fragmented and diffused landscape. It's, it's confusing. Like, yeah. Because what you do, you have, you have your hardware makers, yeah. right? Which are like people that make like the Xbox, the yeah. PlayStation, the Nintendos, right? Uh, you have your developers, which are the people that are actually like uh, creating. So they're, yeah. the, they're the artists, the coders, yeah. they're actually creating the games. You have your publishers, 
right? Yeah. Which are the people that I finance and market. Yeah. So those are like your um, uh, your blizzards or yeah. your EAs or yeah. whatever. And there's a lot of overlap between these three things. Of course. So your mm-hmm. hardware makers sometimes own development studios, which sometimes own publishing arms. And then, so, so this yeah. it's a very blurred line, right? Yeah. And then at the end, you also have like sort of like digital only platforms that act as distribution mechanisms. So like Steam. Correct. Or like an Epic Game Store. Which but is again, also changing now. Which is also changing because yeah. Epic Game, because they're, they're getting it, yeah. They're all interlinked. But that's what I'm saying. This is okay, like a, a rebundling okay, of see what that, you mean. right? Yeah, because yeah, like yeah. before, uh, and again, it's a, you know, there's obviously always going to be caveats to it, right? So Nintendo has always had like a very strict strategy yeah. of integrating their hardware with their software. Yeah. Right? They were very, they were, they were always the most tightly held of the groups, right? Yeah. But PlayStation and Xbox started off as a diffuse system. They were hardware yeah. manufacturers. They licensed or they brought on, they were platform builders, yeah. right? Their platform was a physical platform. And then they got people to sell and create content for their platforms. But now what you see is like Xbox spent like $14 billion mm. to acquire Bethesda earlier this year. Oh, so I didn't Bethesda, know that. Yeah, Bethesda okay. is wow. a maker of like Fallout, like a lot of AAA. A lot of games. Correct, yeah. correct, correct. And also on layer on top of that in Microsoft specific case, right? They also have their cloud business. So mm. that's sort of the integration. Okay, yeah, taking, that makes sense. Yeah, right. I so they're taking, they're taking gaming platform. They're bundling taking, it to. They're taking IP. Yes, okay. They're taking distribution. They're taking infrastructure and they're putting it together into one bundle. Mm. And that's where, and, Again, to bring it back to what I was talking about, the great bundling, unbundling, and where yeah, you want to okay. be. I see, that. I see. Yeah. So what about this thesis that gaming has been a huge driver in the technological advances then? Okay. Yeah. Right? Because like, I recently started to get back into PC building and all these kind of things. And yeah. what, what I'm realizing, these, the, the cycles are getting faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, things are outpacing more uh, across the board, from, not much from the hardware perspective, even like an AI. Like it's just things are just getting created faster. But a huge part of that, like the capital formation part, right? is these gamers giving money to have more of these experiences, right? And the reason why like the top companies like uh, used to be Intel, but now what's like more of a, um, was AMD, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. so they, they're, yep. they're driving it because they can sell these things, like they sell all these products, get the money, but it, it pushes this technology further. Mm-hmm. And it's gaming, to me, it's like gaming driven. That technology can then diffuse to all the other aspects of the world. Like think about like where, where AR and, and VR is heading. It's because of this gaming is being is, is push, pushing the limits. They're they're getting the money to make those investments now. Once that technology gets to a higher point, once you know there's five G more bandwidth, there's mm-hmm. more availability for bundling or unbundling. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, it's it's it, it can unlock a whole different world of how we interact with all the media that we're seeing today. Yeah, correct. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think I think the graphical component of it is certainly one big aspect. The just the yeah. uh, raw compute. Yeah, raw. Yeah, raw the compute. Raw, the yeah. raw compute yeah. necessary to to create these experiences. Because right? put, I mean, put it in any other context, who's going to risk capital besides game, you know because you know gamers are going to buy if you if you if you hit a certain thing that they want. Well, okay. So this is this is right. where I, I like media. Right. Yeah. Or yeah, like a musical point. Yeah, media. So th- th- so this is so you always have to. I always think about this in the context of media. And media is in many ways the most valuable of all commodities yeah. because it only, it competes for the one thing that you can't make more of, which is time. Yeah. You have finite time. Correct. Right? So so I think a lot of what's, what you see is people are trying to understand that. Yeah. Right? Like that attention and a captive audience is not, has not... So there's obviously value in yeah. that in terms of like the traditional models advertising you sell Correct. ad space you can't have a captive audience you sell your audience to Procter & Gamble yeah whatever right but then again back to this question bundling unbundling right so now people are like well why would I even bother selling my captive audience to a third party I can just sell my own product and capture more of that value well that's that's uh, not bundling then is it it is bundling 
So that's what I'm saying. We're back into this. Uh, we're like, so in terms of what media, we bundling? media, we're, we're bundling. Going again. direct is bundling, but it creates more so, independent ecosystems. So this is, this is, this is the key. The key is the definition of what we're bundling. Okay. Oh, right? Fair enough. So fair you enough. have to okay. be, you have to be a bit. It's, it's like, what is a monopoly and not? Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So okay. like what is being bundled? Correct. Right. So if you think yeah. about bundling as like, oh, I buy ESPN and I get Discovery Channel as an ad. Okay. That, that, that's not happening. We're bundling Just technologies. Technologies. Yeah. 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 I mean, that is also happening to a certain extent. Okay. Netflix, okay. Spotify, these are all bundles, right? Yeah. But also like we're talking about the bundling of technology, the bundling of supply chain, like different components of the value chain in, in media the bundling of the whole process of is the whole thing yeah in media what you see now it's, is you're seeing bundling all along the value chain from the very top to the interesting. bottom interesting okay right? and that's sort of like the space that we operate in or the mm. space like that well, i operate in i also operate podcasts right yeah well, there Take, you go, taking man. this direct right so i, I am more, more interested in media and see how how that could unfold well so that's an interesting point too yeah right because this one i took i stole from ben thompson yeah, <laughs> from yeah, yeah. right <laughs> this, this so he you know the the smile curve Right. No, I don't know. Okay. I, I haven't subscribed to Ben. I, I do read his articles, but I, I need to okay. go deeper. Uh, I'll, I'll explain it in, in brief. So, so the smile curve was originally uh, uh, came from like a Taiwanese chip manufacturer CEO. I think mm. it was Acer, right? Okay. And so basically, again, you know, audio format, whatever, right? You think about a, like a, a quadrant, you know, think about like supply chain is your on bottom. The, on the x-axis? Yeah, on the x-axis. Okay. You think about value capture on, on your y-axis. Axis, and you okay. S- and then the smile curve. I see. Right? Okay. Okay. So that's smile, upside down. You. Yeah. So on one hand, on your lo- top left quadrant. Yeah. So higher up the supply chain, but also captures a lot of value. Are there people who actually design the chips? Mm, right. Yeah. And then on the opposite end of that, on the top right corner, in terms of value capture, is the marketing and distrib- and branding of those yeah. chips or yeah. whatever. Right. And then in the middle, where the lowest economic value is, is um, uh, fabrication. Yeah. The people that put together chips, no one really cares about you. Yeah. Right. And so, like, great example is like just look at Apple. Mm. Right. Apple has huge market cap. Yeah. Blah blah blah. But then the people that actually make the phones, Foxconn, obviously a big company. Like, yeah. very, but in terms of like just sort of like like how the market treats it. Not that great, right? Yeah. And so when you apply that to a media context, right? So again, same you smile curve, right? Yeah. On the left-hand side, you have IP owners and content creators. So that's mm. you. Yes, correct. Right? Yes. And on the right-hand side, you have the aggregators, or what Ben calls the aggregators, yeah. which is like the Facebooks, Googles, uh, to a certain extent, Netflix, Spotify's of the world. Yeah. And then the people that are losing out yeah. are the traditional publishers. Yes. Right? And so that's the space. Uh, so to take this whole thing and extend an analogy, so that's the space I play in is I am on the top mm. left corner okay. of that from a content perspective, right? So I'm interested in owning, I, we, our business is interested in owning uh, proprietary and valuable IP. We don't want to be in the business of distribution and aggregation because one, that's, we don't have the background for it. I'm not a pro, I'm like, you know, that's not something that I, I want so to do. So Red Ocean at this point too. Yeah. It's, it's also they, very, they've had big moats for many years. Huge moats. It's also yeah. very, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's gotten progressively more difficult. That's yeah. I mean, it's still possible. Like TikTok is a great well, example, right? Well, the, the way, the way it's possible is the way Disney did it. They, they, they're on that top left quadrant where they, they own the IP. And I, I was listening to a very good podcast, yeah. uh, on Bob Igar. Uh, Igar, yeah, yeah. Igar, yeah. 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 And he was, he was explaining how, uh, when he took over. So Mike, Michael Eisner retired. Yep. Asked, Bob was a long shot of getting the job. And then 
the first thing he fixed was um, the Disney animation was just dying when, when he inherited it. So that's he, a super he, interesting question. That's he, he had to go yeah. to Steve Jobs and convince Steve to to sell sell Pixar because he knew like and that was a huge red like you're a new CEO you were promoted internally and you you were like probably like just you know hundredth in line to 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 this global you know giant machine and then his first ask is you know buying Pixar for seven eight billion dollars or something right and then of course he had to convince the board he had to convince Steve Jobs yeah. and but like. Without that play, like if they're not in the top right hand quadrant, it's not owning that. And I think that's maybe one of the, the clear insights. I mean, I don't know if you knew that that's going to turn into the, the bundling of technology and distribution later on. But, but like that, that I think that's why I do like media and why I like this podcast. Cause yeah. like you are owning the IP. You can go to, you, you could choose how you want to, of course, distribute it direct Correct. or whatever. But yeah. I think the point is uh, being a creator. Right? Exactly. You own yeah. the IP. And that's, it, we're yeah. on the same page. Yeah. Right? We do it on, on different level and different course. methods, right? Yeah. But it's essentially the same. Yeah. And that's actually a really interesting point, specifically these would be Bob Iger and yeah. the, um, Disney the plus. Pixar. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, let's go back. Yeah. Sure, history, yeah, yeah. Back to what you're saying. The acquisition of Pixar. So, uh, in management theory, Clay Christensen wrote, like, basically the law of attractive or, yeah, the law of attractive profits, basically why big companies don't innovate. Yeah. Right. And this is actually what happened to Disney to a T, mm. right? So when the, Disney yeah, was yeah. first created, when, when the first, and people forget about this now because like, well, people, humans have short time of course, memories yeah. and all that stuff, right? But like 10, 15 years ago, Disney as like a studio and as like a creative, um, uh, organization was really struggling because what yes. they had done is they did, did, did a great job when they first started in the 1920s up until they created like produced amazing IP super innovative right in the context of your your framework your your thesis of, of, of looking at the media what the Disney went through what they were bundling unbundling what technology so were they, they were they doing the unbundled T-t-t-t- TV was probably the content they unbundled their content yeah yeah they unbundled their content this was their key mistake and they diffused it right so what they did is they had this amazing IP Disney has the best IP they've always had the best IP arguably yes and they know how to do it in the right way. Like tell it not in the right always. way. Always. Yeah. This is this is a tricky yeah, not, part. Not always. Not always. Yeah. So there was a period. In, there was this period in time where between like nineteen ninety something up into like the early aughts, where they made a ton of crappy direct to TV sequels. Right. Mm. So that's like your Lion King three, your mm. Lion King's four, Ariel's Little Mermaid five. If you take that, that to present day, that's exactly what's happening in Hollywood. Yeah. Media. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So they, yeah. They, they've kind of what, what is it? They lost their soul. They and lost they, their soul. They became, they became yeah. asset managers. Right. Which, which is also why, again, I do like media because I feel like there's a space to kind of play where you could somewhere along the chain, where, whether you're writing the screenplays or building a platform for screenplays or for something like this. You could be a part of this creation process. Exactly. Yeah. Where they're, where they're, you know, where they're sleeping, you take their, their lunch. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And that's, and so, yeah. So they basically went through this period, like a, a creative drought. Yeah. Where basically you became a factory. And yeah. People didn't want to work at Disney because, like, why would I want to just, yeah, make Toy Story? Well, I get Toy Story's not a good yeah. example. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And, and the, the, the acquisition of Pixar was, in many ways, and the way I think about it, yeah. was to address this problem. Yes. Was to create, yeah. was to solve the creative drought problem. It wasn't as clear back then. It wasn't as, it wasn't course. as clear back then. Of yeah. course. And yes, no, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. We, everyone has, like, the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. Like, of course. Oh, obviously, you would do yeah, that. Yeah, like, yeah. why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyone could have told you that. Dude, it was super risky back then. It was then. super risky. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, but that's the same. Like, investment in IPs will always bear fruit. Right, yeah. Like the Pixar acquisition, the Marvel acquisition, the Star Wars acquisition. These are huge value driving yeah. uh, deals. And then now, Disney in the modern day is 
Previously, they were distributing. They had unbundled the distribution. They were leaving the distribution of Disney Channel to the traditional cable bundle. Yeah, right. So correct. It would be sold through Comcast or Turner or whatever. Yeah. And you know they were also licensing their content out to Netflix. Yeah. Right. So again, the law of attractive profits. It's hard to say no to. I think Netflix was paying like I don't even know how much like, like two or three billion dollars a year. Mm. It's free money. Yeah. yeah. You know that, I mean, that was also a big bet for Netflix back then. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think I mean I would be interested to hear the story more like because. Essentially, they came to the vision of they're, they're basically disrupting TV. Correct. And, and of course, early Netflix, people just wanted the high quality HBO stuff, but then they kind of went in the direction where it's just produced a lot of stuff that people can fill their time with, I guess, right? And, yeah, yeah. And I think the bet paid off, essentially. It's, I mean, yeah, they went from third party to first party, yeah, right? Yeah. So, and, and that's like, but this is, this, is, this is why it's so great. This is why this entire industry is doing this, right? Yeah. And so you think about this, like the natural endpoint is eventually, and this is what uh, Matthew Ball talks about when he talks about the metaverse. Right. Yeah. You yeah. no longer have who who's who's he again? Just a so Matthew Ball is like a he's a, I find him to be like one of the most insightful writers about uh, media in the VC yeah. scene. I think uh, if everyone wants like I mean it's it's pretty robust yeah. work. Like he puts out like these long ten thousand word <laughs> dissertations really yeah, yeah. about media. But I think if anyone is interested in learning more, uh, just go to his website. It's time cool. well spent. Yeah. Like he, one of the best you can spend your time. Right. Yeah. And so, and that's, I think, the natural uh, evolution or apotheosis of where we're going is yeah. it's not going to be a TV company or uh, a movie company. You won't be a movie company. Yeah. You won't be a game company. You won't be a comic book or whatever, a music yeah. company. You will just be an IP entertainment company built around specific IPs. Interesting. Yeah. Right? Because think about it. I mean, that's what Disney does. Disney yeah. has, yeah, that's correct. what they do with Disney Plus. They have Marvel. Like, I love uh, Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. Example. So, you know, I can watch Spider-Man uh, on Disney Plus. Uh, I can play Spider-Man games. Mm-hmm. I can go to uh, Disney World and interact with yeah. Spider-Man as like uh, in the future. You could be Spider-Man. You could be Spider-Man with AR. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. That, that's where we're headed. Yes. Yeah. The ultimate formation is just going to be IP and entertainment as the, that's yeah that's what your business will be. Which is a really great framework. Which is why I think you know. So this is this to me leads me to the the point of where some people might struggle in this space. And the reason why Hollywood is in where they, the state of they are is because what, how do you capture the creative part? We're like, say, say for you, like when yeah. you were doing Althea, you were doing performance marketing, but you were not going to be the, the brand storytelling guy. Well, that's why I left. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right? <laughs> like, but but that, that's yeah. what is needed to, to push this uh, idea of metaverse and media forward probably, yeah. and which Strong is why people. we're in kind of this lull, right? So, you know, I guess for your, I mean, if you're an investor, how do you go about looking for, or even if you're a founder, how, how do you start innovating around the creative process? Well, so, so this is, this is the thing, right? As an investor, I like to have things that are simple. Yeah. Cause I think simple is the best. Um, as an IP, as a, a procurer or buyer of IP. Yeah. Uh, the easiest solution to this is just work with the best writers, work with the strongest IP that exists out there. Right. Yeah. Like take people that, I mean, you're going to pay a premium on it, right? But your returns on a yeah. successful uh, product yeah. is so outsized that that premium that you pay, inconsequential in the long run. So the you're leaving a little bit of food on the table then. So put this in the context of VC, right? Uh, there's no seed stage for creatives, right? It's very difficult, yes. Right? I mean, you would... Which means there, there's, a, there's a room to play there then. There's a, there's, there's a room to play. Yeah, and, this, and this, is, this is the friction that exists within this particular market, right? Because like, as an investor, you're, you're, a, you're an asset manager, right? It's a risk. You have to manage risk. That's essentially what we're doing. Okay. 
right? And so the position that we've taken is the creative risk, the IP risk are not risks that I want to take. One, mm. because I'm also intellectually honest with myself, I'm just not qualified to evaluate a lot of that. Why, why not build a platform that can evaluate that for you? You could, if you were so right. inclined. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, 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 that's the yeah, joy. So, of it. These are some of the thoughts that kind of pass my mind when yeah, I engage yeah. in media. Right? <laughs> I, I, I think yeah. you know, there's there's a lot of room to to kind of keep innovating in the space. So yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I mean, but and so this this is a challenge, right? So what you're talking about is a challenge of like, this is a challenge that music, the music industry has had since forever. Right, because think about it. Music yeah, that, is the yeah, original you know, you're VC. Right, you're right. You're right. Music you're right, is the original yeah. VC. I'm a music record executive. I go and I find a thousand acts a year. Right. I pay these guys for their studio time. Yeah. I get them airtime on the on the radio. I bankroll their tours. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And of which you'll you'll finance like a thousand. And you'll get like maybe one Taylor Swift. And yeah. that one Taylor Swift will obviously cover everyone, Correct. everything else. Yeah, 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 but yeah, then yeah. you blew a ton of money yeah. on the ninety nine yeah, other. Yeah. So I think the or nine hundred ninety nine, right? So I think the the trick here is like it's about if you were to create such a product or platform, it's about how to quickly bring something to market without risking a lot of financial resources, right? You want to be really able to really quickly test whether or not your content or IP hypothesis is the right hypothesis. And yeah. then the ones that do work, you obviously double down. And the ones you yeah. don't, you haven't spent that much, just move on and keep cycling through them. I feel we're at a point in time where technology can really contribute to this. Like discovery. Essentially we're talking discovery, about discovery, aspect, discovery yes. and understanding what talent really means. Yeah. Back back then when things are very not connected as much. You know, you are kind of like using this there's a lot of intuition and gut. Like uh, you know, you you, you yeah. try to scout as much as you can. And then you take take some bets, right? And it's then taste. right then you do the MVP. You go to the small little stage, you know, small audience. Then you go to the medium stage and bigger stage. And essentially, you know, then then someone becomes, you know, mainstream. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then this is a, this is an interesting point, right? Because I've thought about this to a certain extent, and it's like, is there a way to use data yes. to to hedge this, right? And so, a lot of people, maybe people know this, but I didn't know this until a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, all pop songs are formulaic. Oh yeah. Well, if you don't know music theory, you've been studying. You don't yeah, know music, yeah, yeah. 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 But then you kind of know the, the same corporate. I know music theory. And, yeah, yeah. Well, I also play the cello for seven years. Okay, but yeah, but it depends if you actually go to the part of actually where you're trying to create. Like, yeah, that's true. That's true. The, the, the easiest the, playing the, creation. The, yeah, the easiest true. ones, of course, is, is, is pop music. But pop then, music, the, but then you realize it's just a reinvention of everything, right? They have yeah. the the YouTube shows where they yeah, have that guy who just basically does this. This remake of every single episode, which all sounds the same, same chord progression, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right, but that's a good point. Yeah, that's, it's a, but it's, so here, this and this is exactly the point that I'm trying to make, right? Yeah. Is pop music has hedged this risk a lot, but basically, or music in general, I yeah, say, whatever, yeah. Right? Let's not get taught semantics. Music yeah. has hedged this risk a lot because, as we we just discussed, pop music is a formula, right? Yeah, correct. Like uh, Taylor Swift songs are actually designed, which is a funny way to think about something creative but it's designed to be super catchy right yeah, correct. so like, yeah, i believe yeah, yeah. shake it off was written in like slightly faster right mm. it's like four three four and like the hook comes like a full 15 seconds before a typical like a like a benchmark pop song oh interesting I didn't why, know that. and this is also why kind of sense, I guess. but this yeah. and this is also why pop music and musical tracks in general have been getting shorter over time mm, I think about that. it no, but think about it. Think about like oh yeah, YouTube, you you mean like yeah, the length of historically the yeah, yeah, yeah historically. for sure like, for sure. Like, think yeah. about it. Like like when Queen was putting out their stuff, so the Queen's like greatest hits, right? Were like six minute, six and a half, depending on what it was. Right? Bohemian Rhapsody is like I don't know what like nine but or this, something. This is your is this your technology driven change? 
This is not driven change. Yeah. But look, because, okay, okay, but where, where does this, okay, let's, 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 Put this on the exponential scale. Where does this lead to? Which it doesn't seem like it's good. Well, this this this, is, this, this leads this is to dystopian. This like, is this is a problem. This is right? exactly my problem. And so that's what I'm saying. This is the conflict as an investor, right, or as mm. someone that's trying to hedge the risk. Okay, I could theoretically put everything through an algorithm, right? Yeah. Netflix does this. Jeff yeah, Bezos, yeah, yeah. They do this. Jeff they do Bezos this. famously said this. Like, look, I know what a good story is. You need like you know, it's Joseph Campbell. Here of a thousand phases, you need to have like, um, you know, scrap, uh, scrappy background. You need to go yeah. through conflict. You need to come back. You need to have like an emotional payoff. Yeah. You need all these different characters, right? Yeah. So directly, yes, you could put this into an algorithm or formula, and it would spit you out yeah. like hundreds and hundreds of screenplays yeah. with slight variations and permutations. Correct. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But is that good? And is yeah. that actually? Con- and the problem is, this is also how far do you take this? Yes. Right. Yes. Like. And, the, and yeah. this is the question that I don't have an answer to. Well, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in strongly in a camp of, I'm more of an optimist. I don't know if people know, they can tell in the podcast, but, sure. but, but I do believe that, you know, the, there's going to be a human aspect always as needed in this creativity process to tell, which is why I'm not afraid of longer form formats, especially in the Asian region where podcasts are just starting to take off. Why like, you are afraid or not afraid? Not afraid of it. Not afraid. Yeah. Not okay. afraid of it. Yeah. I, I do believe people do find meaner meaning and like people will read novels. People will listen to longer things. People will engage Correct. with things as long as the value and the, the interest is there. Yes. And I think creating long term value, like there, there's this easy plays, of course. And I think uh, it's shaping a lot of short term behaviors, but Correct. I think you can break out of that cycle. I, I think, yeah. you know, I'd, if, if that's what everyone believes, that would be the secret. I would say that's the counter bet. Go for the longer, deeper, more meaningful things. That's true. Do right. the zig yeah. while everyone's eggs. Do the counter Correct. Yeah. of the market, yeah. right? But I'm addressing the point because you're asking like yeah, true, how true, far true, can true. technology yeah. take this it, process and what can be oh, yeah, you know, so, automated. Not automated, but you know what I'm saying. Like, but then okay, then what what you don't have an answer, you're saying then what what's the take? Are we really heading towards dystopia or can we have a, a brighter future where there's probably a good balance between them? Well, I think right now we're in a great place in, in the media landscape just because there's just so much money. You know, yeah, and yeah. and you know, which sounds kind of reductive. DC as well, and but it's but honestly, tech startups, it, yeah. yeah, there's so much money, and a lot of these people are willing, and that's the beauty of it. For a lot of these people, it's not their core business; they don't actually care, right? Who, like Amazon? Oh, okay, Amazon doesn't care if Amazon Studio makes money, right? They just want to have a captive. Audience. They want you. It's a it's a value well, add. This, this is the it's a value yeah. add. Yeah, this is the extension. Of, extension. Yeah, yeah. It's a value add for Amazon Prime. Okay. So they're willing. So in this current environment, they're willing to take a lot of risks because, to a certain extent, to an extent, because also if you look at sort of their roster, they only work with like big name producers, big name Correct. celebrities, and all that yeah. stuff. Right? But there's still, I think, a greater appetite to experiment on that side of the business. The inverse is the Hollywood, the traditional Hollywood side, which is what you see is like Avengers, whatever seven. It's, I, I didn't even know what number they are. Well, like the, four or five, right? You know the the the, the beauty of what what we're kind of seeing with these kind of uh, big e-commerce companies and picking up media is that there's uh, almost um, a separation of there, there's no conflict of interest. Yeah, right? they have a machine that's working. Yeah, exactly. They have a so, cash generating yes. machine. That's what I'm saying. They're so they can make take those risks. Best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. But that, the flip side is that the traditional Hollywood system does not have that benefit. Yeah. Right, they don't yeah. have the benefit of a two trillion dollar company spinning off Correct. more cash than any business has ever spun yeah. off. In the, in Which, the to, to be fair, uh, making film 
or even movies or TV shows is a very risky endeavor. It's as well. incredibly risky. I mean, yeah. that's that's a famous joke, right? What, yeah. You know what the best way to make a small fortune in movies is? Yeah. To start with a bigger fortune that you got from somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, correct. Right? Exactly. That's, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what it fair, is. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's a pretty good um, uh, overall thesis, and I think we kind of uh, applied it to different sectors: gaming, media, gaming. I mean, e-commerce is a super interesting one, right? Because yeah. I'm, I'm actually like. I worked in media, then I worked in e-commerce, and now I'm back into the media side. And so, and I, I applied my theory to to the internet space. Yeah. So traditionally, if you think about it, when the internet was first created, there was always this delineation between commerce websites and content websites, and that's how I always broke it down. Yeah. Right. So you had your like New York Times, your mm-hmm. Yahoo, right. On the other flip side, you had like your uh, eBay's or yeah. your uh, Amazon, obviously, yeah. right. Again, just like 30 years ago. So, so these, these were very clearly. Uh, to, there's separation, right? Yeah. And as the internet industry has developed, what you see is a closer merger, convergence between the two sides. So now you have these blurred lines, yeah. right? So Instagram has like Instagram shopping, yes. right? Or Instagram checkout, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So traditional content, now we're getting the commerce side of things, right? Amazon has Amazon Studios. Or if you take this to even further extreme in China, you literally have like the next generation of home shopping, except it's taking place on Taobao and it's live stream yeah. shopping. Well, I, so I would argue for because of the way China developed first the, the, the you know the, the West, they had a lot of technological leaps. Yeah, so us, user user behaviors yeah. are very different, and what kind of emerged is very different. So I, I was doing a deep dive yesterday on on the Chinese e-commerce, and that version just doesn't. Like, there are elements like Instagram shopping, face like there there are elements of this you see in the West, but not on the same level you see how it's being executed and done in China. But that's right? what I'm saying. China is like yeah. the future in this particular aspect. China is the future. Right? So you think the West will eventually well, gravitate towards this? Yes. So you're saying Amazon's going to be doing social shopping in the same way that Chinese do it? Not, not, right? not the same way. The same way is a very specific use of language. Okay. Right. But yeah. like that trend where you where the lines become increasingly blurred. Oh, okay. 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 Two, okay. I could see right? that. That's I could what, buy into that's that. What, that's what I'm saying. I could buy into yeah, that. Correct. Correct. Hmm. Right. And you're right because China didn't have all that legacy infrastructure. They just that's skipped ahead to like. The natural evolution of what okay. you would think, but, right? But this ties into like uh, Oliver Sandwich's belief: like ninety uh, percent of the people around the world are the same, and it's only ten percent that are different from culture. So it means like you, that's why he executed the way he executed Correct. globally, because he says everyone will need a pair of sh- you know, pants and shoes and shirt. Correct. Everyone will need this. Correct. So you're saying that China has leapfrogged. So essentially, some version of this, somewhere or another, would be very close of how the rest of the world will. Correct. Probably unbundle or debundle. Uh, probably unbundle, right? Well, bundled because in China, well, in China, it's bundled. The West, the West, one bundled. In, 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 maybe right. Well, because well, so the reason is also also sorry, sorry. Let me just finish. Yeah, okay, sure, sure. Because the West is also like we're going through this whole antitrust thing right now. So that's like a wrench. China in the, too, but they're not really. Let's, let's, okay, okay. Let, let's be honest. Let's, let's, let's be honest. Yeah. They're, they're not really. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's 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 kabuki. That's okay. a, that's a pure dog. We'll shirt. talk about that next week. We'll talk about that next week. We'll talk about that next that's week. That's fucking okay. kabuki, right? Can I swear on this? Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Right. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So the America, the, the recent like uh, antitrust, it has, it could potentially throw like drive. I think it'll be a road bump. I don't think it'll stop it. Yeah. Right. Because their antitrust efforts are focused on like Amazon private label anyway, which is not what I'm talking about. Mm. Right. So. But, okay. But it's, it's it's still a management distraction. Yeah. Right. So you know, obviously you have to deal yeah. with that. Um. Sorry. You want to. Well, my, my my point is like. Um, the way Western e-commerce developed because they, it's it's the same the same reason why today there's no one dominant wallet in Malaysia. Okay, there's a lot of in, 
hard to displace in like infrastructure that's just convenient. Like the wallet is not more than 10 times better than my credit card. Like, like when I go to the cash register, it's not like I didn't have a, you know, a credit card before, yep. like China, right? So yeah, I would yeah. use my WeChat. But the same thing in the West, right? They had so, like, it's, this is also what I've been thinking about why Chinese e-commerce might be so different from Western is that the West solves it in a very different way. They didn't have the online technology, so they had big box retail. And they had credit cards, right? Yeah. So, so the way you do group buy in America is I just go to, like, they, the way it was solved was that the company takes the risk yep. and buys in bulk. Then you get to give a membership. Then you have access to group buy in a very different way, but you just don't call it group buy. Mm. You call it big box retail. Yeah. Right, Costco, or right, whatever. Costco, yeah. Sam's Club, all yeah. this kind of stuff. Tesco and some parts of the world, right, are kind of like that. I guess same thing. Yeah, same yeah. thing, right? So, but I think that's just that. In that kind of sense, that has to unbundle if you want to see your version of China, if that's the way forward. Right, because it's 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 an unbundling of that stuff that happened before, which is why it developed differently. So let me let me let me break. Like I'm trying to understand like what your point is yeah. here, right? Yeah. So. What you're essentially saying is, say it again, because I really want to, because yeah. I think you made a point, but I yeah. want to be clear. My, my point is that, so like Western and Chinese e-commerce is very different because yeah. Western had more legacy infrastructure that developed in a different way because technology wasn't there. Okay, I All agree right? with you. Right? Yeah, so far on board. Right. So what happens is that e-commerce in America also looks very different. They have to start in a very specific kind of step away. It's like I had to do books first, then yep. CDs, then finally you can kind of have kind of have like a similar platform app, which Amazon's now going to groceries and they're kind of looking like a WeChat in a, in a sense, but it's still not fully connected because still because there's a lot of legacy. Yeah, correct. Right. So, yeah. so I guess what I'm saying is that um, if, because your, your point is that the future looks very Chinese in terms of how that's developed with uh, the way e-commerce moves forward, right? In this particular, yeah, yeah. vis-a-vis e-commerce. Yeah, right. e-commerce. Very specific, yeah. <laughs> specific, but I think it, it but the, the, the point is the lines are blurring on both sides, China and the West. I don't think the China, but I don't, I, so I disagree with you because I don't, how's the Chinese e-commerce ecosystem looking more like the West? No, no, I'm not saying it's not looking at like the West. I'm saying both sides have lines blurred where, yes, correct. right? Yes, right? Correct. Yeah, we agree with that, right? I agree with that, yeah. But you're saying that the, your point is the Chinese way is the way forward. It's the I future. Think it's, it's a template for the future. Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if the West has to follow that, they have to unbundle in order to, in order to do that. No, unbundle no, further. But why? I don't. This, this, this. I guess. Okay. This is where you lost me. So okay. I'm with you up until this point. Yeah. No, because the Chinese ecosystem is 100 percent bundled. Like Alibaba yeah. owns Tainao. They own Alipay. They own Alibaba. I mean, they own their. All on the value chain. The only thing they don't own Sorry, is the so, actual okay. products. So your that point are being is sold. like, okay, the West will have to bundle more. Yeah, bundle more. Correct. Have to bundle more. Correct. Of the old infrastructure legacy to to look similar to the way China does. Correct. Okay. Yes, that's that's my point exactly. Yes. I haven't landed on it for that degree. Not. I, I have to do more research. But you think about it. Yeah, I'll think about it. That's, I'll think that's about the it. point. Okay, of but this. that's the point. Yeah. It's the point. Yeah. Is yeah. You have to think okay. about it, right? Yeah. And then the flip side of that is we have perhaps the greatest unbundling the world has ever seen yeah. in the form of cryptocurrency. Yes. Right. You're different. Delineated between government and money, which has never been done. Yes. Well, I mean, it was done in like hunter gatherer societies, uh, medieval, pre modern currency. Yeah, And this is the so the great unbundling that's yeah. happening at the same time that the modern yeah. media and okay. commerce is the unbundling of of money. Yeah, and that is like a whole. That's a whole other. Yeah, that's a whole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't know enough about that yeah, to correct. speak intelligently. Yeah. So I'm gonna just you know yeah. not talk about it. I, I will have to think more about the unbundling, bundling, how that's defined. I, th- I think there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot, this, yeah, there's a lot yes, of nuance, correct, right? Correct, so, yeah. so when I when I think it's a quite an interesting framework, um, either from an entrepreneurial standpoint, if you're trying to build, or if you're trying to invest, right? Exactly. Same, same coin, different side, you know, right? Same thing. Yeah. So correct. But um, 
I think it's a very, very good discussion. So why don't we move on to who you are, Dave? <laughs> oh, I like it. Okay, up to you. Your show, yeah. man. Tell me, yeah. let's, what do you want to know? Let's talk about. Open let's talk about China. Oh, China. Let's talk about the Midwest in America. So you, you mentioned you were born in Qingdao. Where is that in China? Uh, northeast coast, uh, about 30 minutes southwest of Seoul and almost directly west of Tokyo. Okay, so very, uh, pretty much the south of China. No, the, north. North. Oh, north. Sorry, north. north. Oh, Korea. yeah, further north. Further north. Korea. Okay, Korea. Yeah. Korea. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. It's not Dongbei. It's not northwestern, yeah, 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 yeah. northeastern China, but it's, we're, we're getting up there. Do you have any memories? They're vague. You know, I don't. I mean, you know this about me. I don't, have, I don't have a great memory. Yeah, I mean, five years old is very hard to remember anything. Yeah. I mean, I remember like bits and pieces of it, right? Like I, we lived with my grandparents. Um, okay. So, so my parents are both doctors. Uh, and but my father ended up doing, he started doing his PhD in Shanghai Medical School. Okay. Right? And so during that time, my earliest memories were my mom and I living with my, my grandparents, my father's parents. Um, and I had some like vague memories uh you know like life would take me to work on a bicycle That's okay wants to rode a bicycle in China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um playing with my cousins uh, and then a lot of it is also like filled out with the stuff that she tells me okay yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. and so so it's Actually, hard to what is their version then what, what like what is what is their feeling of oh, over well when did they leave what year what year was they this? left so there's a whole story behind this and i'll tell yeah. you they left in like 80 my dad left in 89 oh uh, so they left quite late then no we were quite early Early, that was considered early. In, well, in the grand, so in the grand scheme of like waves of immigration from China, relative to our cohort, I guess yeah. we were quite early. Okay, right, because obviously you had like a lot of like in the 1900s, right? You had like a lot of, a lot of the people, the labor class. That's yeah, the labor yeah, class, yeah, like yeah, the coolies, yeah, yeah. The, the one going to Southeast Asia and America. Yeah, the yeah, ones that came yeah, on the, to work on the railroads. Yes, yes right, yes, yes. Uh, and then for a long time, there was not a lot of immigration from China post yes, World exactly. War II yeah. up until like the late um, well, cultural 80s, revolution, cultural, cultural revolution, revolution, Cold War. Yeah. And all, so we were actually one of the first um, families to immigrate from china to the u.s in 89 the Cultural revolution was from when to when oh i'm fuzzy on my dates i want to say 60s, 60s up into 70s, 70s. there's a whole okay. I, yeah. I have a lot of stories about that okay. one too right so your parents uh, lived through that essentially yes okay so they were there for the whole time there yes they were there the whole time um and it was very difficult it was it's was, it was very difficult so so i'm trying to I'm just various levels to unpack so let me just unpack yeah, from sure. where i want to start unpacking, yeah, yeah, right? yeah of course so what happened in for people who aren't familiar with the Cultural Revolution, essentially what happened was Mao Zedong woke up one day yeah. and decided, hey, you know, all, all intellectuals, bad. Yes. You know, we're going to shut down all the schools. No one's going to go to school. Burn all the Everyone, books. Everyone, burn all the books. Yeah, burn all the books, beat up all the intellectuals. Yep. Uh, and then we're going to send all of our youth to the country to be farmers so they understand what it's like to be a proletariat and a man of the people. Is that how your parents ended up in Qingdao from Shanghai? Or? No, no, they were born in Qingdao. Oh, they are born in Qingdao. Okay, so, so, yeah, okay. so my father and all of my uncles went to the collective farms. Shit. So imagine, imagine. It's like I read this in history. Like, yeah. It's wild to know. It's like, wild. Yeah. 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 It's, it's crazy is, to think about it. Yeah. So imagine like you're 18 years old in like 1970s <laughs> China. Yeah, right? yeah. You just graduated college and now you have to go to the collective for, for, farm. For being a doctor. For like two years. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. So he had to go for the, no. Well, he was, a, he was training to be a doctor and he had to go to. No, oh, no, it was before. 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 Okay. So his time, he tells, well, he tells the story. It's, kind of, it's quite funny, right? Because. The way he tells it is he was in the collective farm. It was like his first month. 
Yeah. And the one that he wakes up because you have to wake up like 6 a.m. to like start plowing the fields or whatever. <laughs> right. Dude, it's probably like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. or something. Yeah, probably yeah. 3 a.m. He's probably just like, oh, this coddled American doesn't. Yeah. Just, let, me, let me dumb it down for him. Make, 6 make him feel better. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and he was like, and then he, he, he said, there was the announcement, the, the PA system came on, and the PA was like, oh, we, we are filled with sorrow we regret to inform you that our beloved chairman oh, comrade Mao wow. has passed and in his head he was like fuck <laughs> had i just made it for like a few more months like i just graduated like a year later yeah. i wouldn't be in the stupid collective yeah, farm yeah, 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 and yeah, i yeah. could have just like whatever right yeah but he, he so he went to the collective farm and he ended up staying there for two years wow like two three okay. years two years for collective farm and then they came back and what Came happened to, to Qingdao? Qingdao, okay. yeah. So they call this Xiaxiang, which literally means it goes down to like the rural. Okay. So he came, he came back. And that's when, so after Mao died, obviously there was a power struggle between his wife and the yeah. whatever. And uh, they eventually the, the moderates or the reformists won, right? And they reopened up all of the schools again, right? But the tricky part here is basically for 10 to 15 years, however long the cultural revolution was, was for, no one was admitted to college. So you have like 15, like 10 years of graduates yeah. all vying for like a very, very limited number of slots. Yeah. Right. And they both got in. So effectively what that means is they are like the creme de la creme. Yeah. The best of the, the best. In, the best of the best. Yeah. The intellectual best. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you can make an argument like, oh, people didn't go to school. People didn't care. <laughs> but, but they also kill all these intellectuals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but let's be honest. Let's be honest. We're, we're talking about like, a point zero 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 one acceptance rate, okay, something that's of that probably order of magnitude, the, yeah. right? It, yeah. it it doesn't matter, yeah. right? Um, and so, and it's it's interesting because like you, you didn't get to choose, you didn't get to choose yeah. what they wanted to study. You got oh, signed by the central government. So my, it worked out for my mom because my mom wanted to be a doctor and she was assigned. Yeah. <laughs> Funny story. Of all things, my father wanted to be an English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it worked out. It worked, yeah, like, it worked out. It worked out that yeah. went to medical school. Well, and, yeah. You know, it all worked out, right? Um, uh, and so we, we, we immigrated in, he immigrated in 1989, yeah. I believe. And this is crazy story that he tells me. I didn't find out about this until I was uh, maybe in my early 20s. I was having, I was home uh, from work one weekend having dinner with him. Yeah. We just talked, he told me the story. And apparently, what had happened was he had uh, applied for his PhD program in the US. Yeah. Right. So he had done part of it in China and he was applying to finish it off in like a, the program and that was allowed back then you yeah, could just you, you could, very specific was, okay yeah yeah because well because he was probably part of the program yeah, part of the program yeah. very smart blah, blah, yeah blah, right and he applied and he didn't hear back right yeah like months had gone by he didn't hear back and and essentially he was like left with his choice he's like okay look i could like try and get in contact with him or i could just like move on with my life and do something else or yeah. just you know stay in china and the tricky part was like at the time because everyone's super poor in China and this was when AT&T still had a telco monopoly <laughs> like calling long distance for like a minute Ooh. from mainland China Ooh. to the US was literally Very like expensive. 10% of his monthly salary wow, wow that's crazy <laughs> it's that's crazy, crazy. That's it's crazy, crazy, crazy to think about that right because now they're like a text message I WhatsApp you it's yeah like, correct it's nothing. cost nothing it's nothing. <laughs> literally nothing it's part of your it's less than nothing yeah, I get yeah. messages I don't want to read yeah, yeah exactly, right? like, exactly. I don't care what you say <laughs> go away yeah. fuck off and so but he's like I have to find out I need if I don't call I'll regret it for the rest of my life yeah. so he calls and he manages to get through someone and it's just like uh, most serendipitous of stories. And they're like, oh, is this um, Edward? Yeah. His name is Edward. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's Edward. It's like, we've been trying to reach you. You know, like we've been trying to reach you for weeks. We couldn't get a hold of you. They're trying to call. <laughs> trying to, yeah, trying to call you. And actually, to call if we didn't, yeah, if we, if we didn't hear back from you today, 
Wow. Were you to give your spot away to someone else? Okay. Do you still want to that's, come? That's fate. That's right? fate, right? Yeah. And and just so it's so amazing because like that. I mean, really, one phone call. Yeah. Literally one phone call changed his whole life. Yeah. Not just his life, our lives. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. Like every, and everyone, yeah, yeah. everyone I've ever met, for yeah. better or for worse, right? Yeah, you wouldn't be life here. Life has been changed. We wouldn't be yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be somewhere in China, mainland China, doing like nine nine six or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Who knows, right? Yeah. Um, and then so he said, "Yeah, I mean, of, of course, of course, I want to come." Right? Yeah. Uh, and then so he moved. Then why, moved. why? Why? Of course. I mean, it sounds like if he's like at the top of the, because it's still true. Because at the time and even today, America, from like an educational mm, academic perspective, yeah. is still the creme de la creme. Still, still, it's the best. It really is the best. I don't. I think there's a lot of place arguments. Does it still can, hold now? Even now. Even now. Yeah. Even now. Yeah. You know the, the top, top programs. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. If you're looking for something very specific in a top field. Any technical highly field. likely it's probably going to be covered in the US and you want to go yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it still has that like the prestige yeah. that's associated with it. So I mean, and, and this was again, 1989. So it was like a no-brainer. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, like, yeah. Why yeah, wouldn't yeah. I Yeah, go? correct. Okay, right? fair enough. Um, so he moved in 89 and we moved like six, six seven months afterwards in, in 90. And so I do, I don't remember much about China, but I do, I have some very vivid memories of Oklahoma, but, but, which is where we ended up. I don't know if it's so much of a, a no-brainer though. Is that what he says? Is that what you feel? Well, at the time, well, because I, I think, like think about it, like you're literally, dude, like your whole context is like something of China. Like it's very weird, especially back then. Think things are more connected now. Information is easier. Yeah. Like people travel much more easier. Yeah. But back then, you're uprooting your whole life, and you know your wife and your child, your family. You're leaving your family behind. Yeah. You don't even know if you're going to come back. Yeah, it was a big risk. It, well, he never did. Yeah, exactly. He so never exactly, went back. Right? <laughs> I don't know. Was it really a no-brainer? I mean, that must I mean, have, I think must have been something. Sure. Sure. There might be an element of revisionist history. Yeah, yeah, here, yeah, 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 yeah. But I will never know. You could. Oh, you, you can ask him? I think it's one of these things where your version becomes reality. Ah, true. Perception yeah, is reality. Fair enough, fair enough. Right? Yeah, my, my dad, completely American. Huh? He's, there's no way he's ever going to leave or co- you know, go anywhere else. So. Well, that's also a really interesting point because my dad, in his old age, has got, gotten more Chinese. And this is from fake news. <laughs> uh, but he's in the Midwest. Okay, so this is super, this is really interesting, right? So he went to medical school in China. So yeah. they, they're still quite close to all their classmates that they went to medical school with, mm-hmm. right? So they have all these WeChat groups. Uh, in America or in, in America? Okay, so so he's, so in the, he's in the WeChat group with people that are living in China. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 yeah, yeah, yes. right. So he's still and in so, touch with them. He's in touch. He's in touch, right? Uh, because, you know, as they all got older. And oh, dear. They, they, yeah. <laughs> and so then he started, like, it's, I, I only, also I only found out about like two years because my mom told me is he's been reading all these like disseminated articles and a lot of his oh, propaganda okay right yeah and then obviously china's descendants like oh china's so great yeah you know we're, we manifest destiny we've come into our rightful place in the world so he's like very patriotic now interesting about, he about wasn't before china, which much less so before much less so. interesting my mother does not read any of those things she stays out of it and she's very american she's like mm. incredibly pro-american she's like if she could buy a gun I think they, they actually did. She can buy a gun. They do own guns. I mean, she probably has a gun. Yeah. Um, and so now this is, it's kind of like, we have like a, like a, like a low-key conflict. It's not like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, not really... But they don't talk politics anymore. Yeah. They don't talk politics because like, they just can't see eye to... And so funny, they've been married for like 39, 40 years. They went through the shame, shame yeah. same shared experience yeah. of immigrating, uprooting your whole life, raising a child in a foreign country, yeah. adapting and localizing to a foreign country. Very similar professions. Yeah. And now they have like such disparate the power of media, right? Power and media. Culture. Right? Yeah. Culture and media. Fake news. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very interesting. Like my, my mom, she probably wouldn't mind 
retiring back in Vietnam if she had no support system. Because she saw his family in Vietnam. Oh, family. Yeah. Right? My, my dad does not want to go back probably at all. But like, honestly, my mom has so well ingratiated into the community and volunteering. Like, she's fine where she is too. It's like, it's not like she doesn't need to go back. But like, it's a very common trope, I think, for a lot of um, Asian Americans who immigrated probably, er, is it considered earlier, what, like, more recently? More recently, right? Mm, when you say more recently, you mean like, what, 90s? Like 90s, yeah. Ni- like, something like the 90s and... I would say like you're still within like a pretty old vintage. Is it? Like okay. the recent immigrants, I would consider it be like the four die, like all the, you well, know. My parents came in the 70s. Yeah. So you. Like you, early yeah, 70s. Yeah, you They're date. true Americans. You're true <laughs> Americans. You guys came on the boat, right? Uh, no. they. Well, my well, my dad came as a student. My dad, uh, hopefully he's not listening, but uh, he, he was pretty bourgeois. <laughs> like, oh. uh, he, he, he has come from a, many generations of doctors. Ah, he okay. grew up with a, a cook, a chauffeur, went to only French school, oh, went fancy. to the sports club. Very I could have been a prince say, in Vietnam, yeah, probably, right? Very, but the communist everything, right? Um, my mom was okay. I don't know. Not, not exactly clear of her, but, like, uh, but, but the point is like, my dad came as a student, mm. as a university student, then the war hit. My mom came only one year of the American escalation, like at the very beginning of it. So, which is, you know, that, that's why I think maybe 70s was like more, mm. like that's why, that's why I feel 90s is like, wow, that's kind of, you know, very recent. Oh, I, so I consider recent the people that moved to the Chinese. Well, to be fair, the, the, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The community is different, different, different yeah. definitions. Yeah, yeah, that's a good so point. We should, yeah. we should, pro- yeah, exactly. Caveat yeah. this, right? I feel like the, anyone that moved like in the 90s, uh, I, I would say like an older vintage, like the new ones are the ones that have moved, um, like the 20, 30 year olds that moved. Yeah. Like, that's a fair point. Since the aughts. Okay. Okay. You know, like, so a fair point is that like, I felt like some of the more recent immigrants have a tendency of wanting to go back in their older age. Mm. Well, my dad actually wants that. So mm. he's like, as he's gotten old, like has he, that changed or he's, he's grow, grown into it. He's more vocal about it now, I think. And mostly because I think that's like, you know, he's 64 now as you get towards the end of your life or in the latter half of your life. Right. You long for these feelings. To, of like To be fair, home he was family. very old when he left. Right. He was my age. Oh, sorry. 30s. I'm 36. He was definitely younger than me. He was younger. He was 30s, younger. 20s, 20s. Late, I want to say early 30s. Yeah. I think it was early 30s when, when we My mom left. left when she was 17. My dad was 18. Yeah. So maybe a little bit different in that kind of respect. Yeah. yeah. Also, he has a lot of siblings, right? Ah, so, so they're all still back in China. They're and, mostly yeah. back. There's a couple okay. like in the US, but yeah, yeah, predominantly in China, right? And so like, I think as like I said, towards like the, like the latter half of his life, right? He wants to like recreate those like familial bonds. You know, the like, thing feeling, is, he right? might go back and be very disappointed. <laughs> well, that's, I don't think so. Well, speak, speaking of which, you, well, you don't have too many memories of China, but you did go back in 2010 for Gaoping and Groupon, right? Correct. What Correct. was that like experience wise? Was oh like, God. well, also you were very, at the time you were just a Midwestern kid, like a young guy it's from the Midwest. 25 at the time, 24, 25. And you had, yeah, you had mostly worked in America. <laughs> in your context, right? Was I mean, this this is this is it's so funny. There's so many stories here. Yeah. Um, okay, so let me for you listeners of your podcast. So we, you've talked about rocket internet before. Yeah, on your I podcast, have. right? And we're all. Rocket. I have to. I mean, unfortunately, most unfortunately, a lot of my network is rocket internet. So. No, no, I think it's fortunate. I think <laughs> yeah. honestly, rocket. Yeah, did yeah. a pretty job. I, I think curating. So. Yeah, I do. I think. Yeah. So the way I tell it is. Every generation of rocket expats yeah. was progressively more civilized than the previous batch. 
right? I completely agree with you. <laughs> and I say that in reference to myself because yeah. we were the first batch. Yeah, yeah. We were... So you, you guys were honestly rocket internet uh, royalty of sorts, I'd say. Oh, geez. Yeah, you were like ground zero. Yeah, we were ground like, zero. Like Groupon is ground zero for what rocket became. I was just very early generation, first generation of the global expansion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we were the yeah. original ones. You and set we the were, tone for everything. <laughs> which was... And, and the tone was ridiculous, right? Yeah, insane. So, so to, to... For students of history... Let's take this 10 years ago. Groupon China is Rocket's most successful venture. By successful, I mean least successful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were the company that spent 60 million US dollars in six months. That was more. Hired, that was 100 million. Something like that. Yeah. Right? Uh, hired 4,500 people yeah. and expanded to like 50 markets. Yeah. Right. And again, there's more, to, I think there's markets were even more, right? No, it was like 50. The, oh, sorry. sorry. Country, countries, right? In China, because oh, in China, each China, city yeah, 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 okay, okay. Considered each city market, yeah, right. So, which I understand, like in this day and age, might seem like pedestrian numbers, yeah. But at the time, that was like crazy town. Yeah, it was truly like people. It was unprecedented. People were like, "What are you guys doing?" Well, the, the histories are very interesting, right? Because I I feel that uh, is this this is before Groupon got involved, right? No, it was no, no, no. Groupon was involved. Okay, so Groupon got involved with the so that means that means um, Rocket Internet sold. Uh, city to, deals to, to Groupon, Groupon which is uh, Groupon Europe and Groupon and city deals whatever became Groupon yeah. International which was run by Oliver somewhere okay so that, that that's not the point that, that's why I didn't really it was clear so what was interesting was for China it was Tencent investing with um, Groupon with Groupon which was the majority shares 10% was only Rocket and 10% was this other private equity company no it was it was okay okay, okay, okay. so yeah this is yeah let's go back let's go back so Galpon which was what Groupon China was called Galpon okay. was a JV between um, Tencent Groupon Rocket and, the, the, uh, and, and Rock no because Rocket was in Groupon at that time oh okay Oh, because, yeah, okay, so uh, Rocket was, yeah, Groupon. Rocket yes, was I Groupon. See, I see what you yeah, mean. Because they, they were so it was, it was acquired actually, by... Correct. So yeah. it was like 45, 45, 10. So 45 being Groupon, 45 being uh, Tencent, yeah. and then 10% being, I don't remember the name of the company anymore, right? Yeah. And I mean, this is the crazy part about China. Like, so while Tencent has JV, they also ran three other competing, like... Twango group by companies on their own. They had like Tencent. Tencent. They had like QQ Twan. What, what, yeah, what like, is up with the cannibalism with this? I, I felt that it's, it's just it's a theme that happens with Chinese. Darwinian selection. I think it's just Darwinian selection. Yeah. Because even like, okay, I mean, like we're getting off topic, but like even like um, Alibaba, Meituan, like Alibaba had had invested in like early Meituan or something. Oh, I forget the exact, but essentially people tend in China, like what I, what I see is a trend, like they will just invest and compete with themselves. I, I really don't understand. Well, there's, two ways, there's, there's two ways to look at this, right? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm being a little bit reductive, of course. Of course, right? yeah, 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 It's, it's, it's yeah. performative. So yeah, this yeah, is performative, yeah, yeah. right? When I say start winning selection, I think, you know, from like a business point of view, you can make an argument that you're just hedging your risk. Okay, right? Yeah, you have looking you at Because you want to buy exposure to the industry, yeah. right? So let, yeah, let's, let's talk a serious conversation, right? Yeah. Like if I want to like invest in uh, tech stocks and I don't know which one to buy, mm. I don't know, between like Alphabet, Amazon, or Apple, I'll just yeah. buy a basket. And that's what I think these guys are doing. So they're being investors of sorts. Yeah, uh, they buy. Or, yeah, they buy. Exp you buy exposure to the industry or to the sector. Uh, that's so. It's along more the philosophy of uh, spray and pray. Uh, that's what get, I, that's, getting that's how I think about it. Okay, yeah, that's how I think about it. I, and look, and, and the more I research into like China, Chinese e-commerce, 
and like I, I'm really curious to hear your experience because like it's just it sounds insane. It's kind, insane. It sounds like like me competing with Grab and Uber is like a walk in the park compared to what you guys did it's, in China. Okay, so let me tell you a story. <laughs> let me tell you a story. Yeah. So we we called China the land of the midget king. Yeah. Right. Chinese translation, but whatever. Yeah. So as you know, rocket internets all over somewhere in my opinion his true skill is in operations. He's actually kind of a shitty operator. He just fixes problems by throwing money at it. But his true skill was in fundraising. Yeah. He could always outraise everyone else. Therefore, it negates the necessity to actually be a good operator. Well, I think it's fascinating you bring that up. Like, I, okay, maybe, maybe in a sense that he's not very operatively focused, but he's very detail-oriented. He's incredibly detailed. But, but the, the waste that happens in these oh, companies, yeah, 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 that's yeah. what I'm saying. Right? Yeah. I, but I feel like that was a necessary... Evil to to no mm. no because it's a scale because it, it's yeah. a spectrum it's a trade off right you yeah. go in there and you have a spectrum you can you can grow I mean, all companies right all businesses yeah you can if you're especially venture funded right you can grow it responsibly and like methodically and planned out or okay. if you're in okay. a quest for scale which all rocket companies are or were at the time you just throw money for pure market uh, market share. Yeah, and then I think I mean that that has paid off in many ways for it many has. companies, and not not just Rocket, right? No, for sure, for sure. I'm, look, this is no, I'm not. This is not a value judgment. Yeah, okay, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, no, yeah, there's yeah, no. You're, you're saying, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm literally laying out the facts as I see them. Right? Yeah. And so blitzscaling, right? The term is blitzscaling. Yeah, correct. So Groupon, we were the original blitzscalers. Correct. We were the first Dude. mass deployment of this strategy on a global scale. On a global on, scale, yeah, the first. I agree. A, yeah. Yes, and so. All these traditional strategy has always been just to raise more money than everyone else and outspend and gain market share. Yes. Right? Which I think is a very clear insight because it was an arbitrage. It's an arbitrage. Because these days, you can't do that anymore. And he saw the opportunity and he actually got his cut from it. Right? I don't know if he knew there was a timeline, but he definitely knew that this is a formula that worked, right? Okay, I agree to that statement because you could tell by in terms of the IPO and going back private, like it wasn't very clear that he could do it forever. But yeah. But uh, I mean, eventually it did become clear. But at the end of the day, he still made like like when I f- when I first met Ollie, it was like uh, back in 2012, and it was not clear he was going to make anything happen out of this global expansion, sure. right? But within like seven years, less than less than ten years, he somehow became a billionaire, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. So to, to the point, right? So we called China the land of the midget king because this is like, and this is where Ollie failed. Yeah, he finally met his match, mm. right? The, we had, so, I mean, the headline numbers where they're like, oh, there's like 5,000 competitors in like the group buying industry in China, Thousands, which yeah. is true. Yeah, 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 actually yeah. true. But there were 10 very well capitalized, very well backed competitors, each of which had raised at least eight digits. And like, we're talking like high eight digits, like 50 to 100 million US dollars oh, in okay. funding. That's pretty amazing because this, we're talking back in 2010. 2010. Yeah. Like that's, so this, we were also unheard of, right? It was unheard of. And this is also the originator of the strategy, origination of the strategy in China. But this is like DD or like Kwai D, yeah. like the bike sharing companies. They all do this now, right? But at the time, yeah. this was novel. Yeah. Right. Well, this, this is novel. And also like, was this in response because of yes. Rocket's entry? Correct. So it, it, did the locals band it together? In the sense, band it together in the sense. In the sense that, like, well, well, because also the view, like, I was doing some research. Like, one opinion piece was that a big part of the failure was being too foreign, right? The two top guys were uh, Mads and Raphael, correct? I have stories about them too. (laughs) Yeah, I I think we we can't escape that. We both both know those. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So let's explore these topics, right? Yeah. Let me finish my point. Okay. Sure. 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 So, so yeah. So you you basically enter these markets into. I mean, we did ridiculous things, right? We would go to our competitor and offer their top salesperson 
three times their current salary and then fire them like two weeks later just to deprive that company of their top talent. Oh snap! Wait, wait. Okay, how does that work um, from a legal basis? Like, what does it? What does that prevent? So you get them for two weeks, but then we just we just take we do, so it's it's just like win at all costs, yeah. no mercy, right? And so you ended up having like these crazy dynamics where like you would go and it's a local business, to be honest. Like group buying at the time was very much driven by F and B, yeah, right. That was the main driver of yeah. the purchase of coupons and the growth, right? Especially in China, people love to eat, right? Yeah. So you would go to like some normal not that great like very average like hot pot place yeah right and then you know this guy would act like he's the ceo of like apple because you, know, <laughs> you go in there as a salesperson and i was in sales at the time yeah and he'd be like okay what, what, are, you, what, are, you, what are you giving me i'm like oh you know we have a great platform and mm-hmm. blah, blah 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 and we did this too right but yeah he's like okay well you know your competitor is giving me zero percent margin so they're doing it for free and they're prepaying me like thirty thousand rmb on top of this dude that's insane it's insane and they, this was replicated in every single market across all of china and we just burn money like crazy dude i this is like a version rocket i don't even know about you don't like, even know like my, my version is diluted version of this <laughs> and, the, and we call it the land of the midget king because even the market leader had less than 10 percent market share yes correct yeah, right yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, why yeah. it's a land of the midget king. so and, yeah. so every month you would have a new leader mm. right and usually that was predicated based on like who had spent the most merchant acquisition marketing to buy some famous hot pot chain to list on your platform. But then once you do that, the next week, every other platform goes to that new merchant and gives them the same deal. So they list on their platform and the whole cycle repeats over again. Yeah. And you can only do this so long before you run out of money. It's a price war, essentially. It's a price war. So everyone's fighting to go to zero. It was less than zero. Well, then, okay, why, why, why did Rocket go to zero and why did he so, why did yeah. you, who i mean who emerges from this period so this is a, well okay so first of all the market leader changed on a monthly basis yeah. there was no i mean at the very end like may 20 and ping were the ones of course that yeah. won out, right yeah, yeah so the reason that rocket failed or groupon failed is essentially um bad timing so groupon us was ipoing at around the same time um, 2000, 2010, 2011, yeah, 2012. Yeah, yeah correct. Time, right? Yeah. And obviously, when you IPO, if you have your Chinese venture yeah. burning like $80 million every couple of months, it's what not. What is like, this? Like the, the Uber problem yeah. and selling off correct. Southeast Asia, doing the deals, so grabbing China. Exactly right? what it was. You exactly. got to cut the places where it just doesn't, where it's just going to be a burn, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You become a public company. You, yeah. can know, you can't, you know, there's no, there's no diluting that, those facts, right? Yeah. And so essentially, what happened was they, they said, so what happened was like, you know, we had the six month plan, expand to 50 markets, hire 4,500 people, yeah. brutal market share fight. And after, at the end of six months, we, we go back to the board and we're like, hey, you know, so that business plan that we had discussed and agreed upon, <laughs> we've executed it. You know, we are the kings. Yes. But we need more money. You know, give us like another yeah. whatever. And they're this, like, this is to the board of Groupon. Okay. Yeah. And then they were like, yeah, you know, we're IPOing, so you're not getting any more money. You're on your own. Wow. Right. And so then we spent the next eight months firing like 3,500 people. There was a period in my life where I literally just <laughs> flew around the country on a plane firing people. Dude, I remember these stories. Like, uh, yeah. you know, did you see the movie like Up in the Air with George Clooney? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was yeah. that guy, I was him. You know, I was like- but, but, but what I heard is that like, when you did this, you would have to barricade yourself in the office and people would like, like they would lock you in. Certain people had Certain- to do this because they were assholes and inconsiderate. Mm, and I'll so, tell you the story. So it depends how you do it. Okay. It depends how you do it. I mean, you have to be a human being. At yeah. the end of the day, if you treat someone with respect and dignity, yeah, they'll understand. Because you're like, 
I'm a hired, like I'm also an employee. Yeah. This is not, I'm not, I'm not Ali. I'm not, yeah, correct. I'm not uh, Andrew Mason. I'm not yeah. Eric Lafosky, whatever his name was. Right. So if you treat someone with dignity and, and humility or. I agree. Know, I, Cause I've done this many that. times for rocket too. Yeah. And, and, and so, the, I, yeah, I, so I, I, w- I always try to approach this process in like, a compassionate way, uh, you know. You like, have to. Yeah, yeah I felt yeah. bad. I, I honestly, yeah, of felt course, bad. you have to. Yeah, it was yeah, toll yeah. on my psyche. Like, it, it was really difficult. It was a hard six months going around just firing and people. And you were in the the headquartered office, Beijing, right? I was in Beijing for a while. I was in Qingdao. Okay. And the, the thing to remember is, like, I was twenty five at the time. Yeah. I was a kid. I didn't know what was happening. Like, or you know, but like, you don't have the luxury of experience. You don't have. Yeah. You don't have the, emotion, the, the, the tools, the mindsets, the yeah, mental models, the, the mental. Yeah. yeah the the fortitude. Yeah. Fort- yeah. You don't have any of that. You just have to go with it, right? Yeah. And so that particular story that you're referring to, what happened was that person he fired everyone by telling IT to come collect people's laptops, and that's why people were informed. Wow. And that's why they kind of mutinied and locked him in the office. Yeah. So it's all about how you do it, right? Correct. If you, if you go to the office and you're like, Hey, this is the facts of the situation. I'm very sorry. Yeah. You know, I, I understand this is difficult and all that. And you explain it to them. Most people will take it okay. Yeah. Right. And they well, won't, they won't, they won't like lynch you, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, here's an interesting point. Cause you, you bring up the fact that they went to the group on board to ask for more money. And this is, this has been Ollie's. If you watch enough of his YouTubes, one of his biggest insights is that he hasn't like held on to value long enough to reap the full value of it. He always sold too early, right? Now, if you if you you know if, say if you're I don't know you could do the exercise. If you think if you got more money, do you think he could have been at least somehow invested in one of these big guys who even if it's a minority stake, you know, having a small percentage of of Meituan today, right? Like I don't know, like uh, yeah, that's a good, it's a good question. It's a good question. So I wasn't, I obviously wasn't privy at the time yeah. to like the inner workings of like what was those conversations, right? But the story, or the impression that I got is Ali did actually want to continue. Yeah, okay. He, he wanted he to fight out, more. He wanted. To, he was. He was outvoted by the rest of mm. the the management team. Yeah, right. That that that's my understanding of it. That probably takes a uh, um, a tone of how he decided to run Rocket going forward. Then, yeah, correct. Right. Yeah, he took those lessons, yeah. internalized yeah. them, and obviously changed the way yeah. that he operated going forward. But yeah. I mean, he was a master of raising, but like, uh, what, what the feedback that I got of talking to people was that he had to raise from very weird places. He wasn't going from like triple A VCs. And so we had to go to like, what, like, you know, sovereign wealth firms like Scandinavia and like all these other I mean, te- the telecoms and Scandinavia sovereign wealth is not a bad place to raise. It's not a bad place. Yeah. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's yeah, be right. honest, right? But it's not like the, it's a brand, household brand name that everyone knows, right? Well, I mean, I think that's also like a certain, yeah, I agree with you, but I think there's a certain level of like myopia within the VC world itself. Yeah. Right. And I, I think that there's, because let's be honest, like rocket internet companies are not traditional tech companies. Of course not, right? Yeah. It's not their, well, you know, it's a very interesting point that you bring up because looking at later YouTube videos of him speaking, like say 2016, 2017, he talks more about product. He talks more about like, oh, now I realize like there's some kind of method that we should be looking at, which is why he acts more of a VC now with founders uh, capital, right? He, he, yeah. he, he, he went, absolutely, you're right, 100%. Yeah. He went through a period of reinvention. Yeah. Right. But I mean, think about it. Like Groupon, Lazada, Zalora, you know, a, a typical VC business, a true tech company has zero or close to zero marginal costs. Yeah. Right. And that's that. And that's why you need VC funding. Correct. You spend a bunch of money up front. It's, it's for growth. It's for right? growth. It's like, something that works. Well, 
Well, the, I think that one thing, the, the one clarity point I think that makes sense with the e-commerce plays was that the, the contribution margins, the, the, the economics makes sense at scale. So if the, there's this kind of like blitz scale burn kind of makes sense for it. Right now, now it's a matter of the market's ready or not. Yeah, I, I that's, think fashion. That's, that's, fashion was a little, like we were thought we were going to be the darling Zalora, right? Yeah. When I was executing that, uh, but it turns out Lazada had a better product market fit. I still feel is because timing. They're, they're, I think there's just a better um, product market fit for for uh, mass market, which is like the countryside. Sure. So, so early on, you see the distribution of orders for Zalora. It's always the main cities. Yeah. No one in the countryside is buying Zalora. Yeah. Early side, people in the countryside are buying refrigerators. You see, like, a lot, like, uh, Lazada was delivering refrigerators on the back of motorbikes to these, to these, these places, right? It's true. It's true. You know, so, and I felt like that's a better kind of fit, which kind of, with the aggressiveness of, of investing and being hardcore and, and, you know, going for dominant market share with a slightly better product market fit, even though it's not really product oriented, still kind of made sense, you know? Well, so this isn't, yeah, I agree with you. So I, I, I thought, I, I, thought about this a lot after my time in e-commerce in both here and, and or China, China and here, right? Yeah. And I, I think there is like, a, it, I, fundamentally it's a time question. Yeah. And I'll explain, right? So like, if you think about the evolution of e-commerce in any country, it falls template, right? Yeah. So when you first start, you have these like C2C style marketplaces, like in eBay. Craigslist. Yeah, Craigslist. You started with uh, classifieds always. Yeah, classifieds. Always, classified, yeah. yeah. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. One of the predominant reasons is because like people don't know what it is, they don't know how it operates, and they're taking a bit of a risk when you buy Correct. something, right? Yeah. So the price points are low. Yeah. Right. And so they're like, oh, you know, I spent like fifty ringgit, whatever. I someone rips me off. I'm like upset. Yeah. But I'm not gonna like cry yeah. about it, right? And then as the market matures and as your consumer patterns behave matures, you get to like sort of the next step of the business, which is sort of like a more slightly more curated expense, but still like very like night market. Right. Mm. So that's what I would like call like a Lazada or Shopee. Yeah. Or even some of the Chinese ones. Right. So it's just like, it's like uh, B2B to C. Right. So you have yeah. like merchants on the platform and you sell to customers. Yeah. Right? And so, uh, and then that's, you know, again, now it's a question of like pricing is still important, but now like things like convenience matters, selection matters. Right. They matter more than they did in the first stage. And then the final stage, you have what's essentially kind of like where the US was heading for a while was the brand.coms. Right. Where you, Interesting. Okay. Okay. Let's let's go with this. Right. Yeah. And so so then so then you want to start like like oh this brand it speaks to my ethos or like I like what their values are. But, but that's a function also of how much wealth is created for Correct. a big population. Which okay, China can do that. China Southeast do that. Asia is still kind of small for that. Yeah. So again, timing. This one. My yeah. Point timing. Okay. Part, yeah. So it's smart timing of the market entry and the evolution, like where you want to play. Right. So I think you're correct. I think there's a Laura value proposition. Is like it entered at the time where it was like the yeah. early stage where it well, should have fit in or it would no, most logically okay. fit in no, the second it, half, it right? It fit in, but uh, it got to the point where everything we put in was growing the market. You never want to be in that position where it's, yeah, it, you're yeah, trying yeah, to, yeah, yeah like yeah, which, you don't you, you don't, don't want to be the guy, yeah, that's right? True. So, so what happened was like we quickly hit that ceiling. The the the, ca- the customer acquisition cost was insane, yeah, and we had to cut it, but then you realize your market is not as big anymore. To me, the biggest mistake for Zalora was that they never went offline because that's where the real market was then for Southeast Asia, where you are. Uh, I, right? I have the same. I have the same um, diagnosis of Altheo. Yeah, it's it's a, you know I mean there are a lot of I could say a lot about that business right, but essentially yeah. it's the same, right? There was a ceiling to well, okay. how big that business could have been before. Before let's what was Althea? Althea was so Althea is um, 
uh, a Korean beauty e-commerce company yeah. that basically it's a um, cross-border model where we sell products from Korean suppliers in Korea directly yeah. to consumers in Southeast Asia. And so the, the tricky part here is like, you know, K-beauty is traditionally a value product. Right, but because of various like distribution agreements, import exports, it's yeah. actually positioned as like sort of like a medium to like mass premium is the term that people use for it. I feel that's early early version thesis, but like if you really think about what you guys did for Althea when you were running it, um, it's no different than the Chinese e-commerce play of feeding China to Southeast Asia, exporting down, right? Except you have a more premium brand in theory. Yeah, it's right. Okay, so that's how the company started. Correct, correct, correct. So that's how the company started. Eventually, we went into private label. Yeah. So we tried to we, we tried to become our own brand, right? And um, I think that was the right play ultimately because that's like where value creation is highest because you don't want to just be like a seller yeah. of other people's product because then all the CAC money that you spend is just promoting someone else's brand. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's what happened with uh, Easy Taxi, I think. Yeah, correct. We, we, we built... We were probably the one set to win rideshare in Southeast Asia. We had Rocket Internet behind us. We spent all the money. Uh, Grab decided to spend more. It's about the same time they took over. Market share was what determines everything in yeah. Southeast Asia, right? For raising. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's, yeah. Growth. Then uh, top, top line. I think that that's a very interesting point for Southeast Asia is that like, if you want to do it big, like people don't realize you need more money than you actually think you, oh, yes. to, to do something in Southeast Asia. Yes. Correct. Right? You're not going to get far like a half a million to do start an MVP unless, you know, of course, this is very... I mean, there is, there's this nice Silicon Valley story, but you know, if you're trying to do something big within a reasonable time frame that's VC oriented, you, you need to raise a lot more money than you probably think. It, it doesn't work here. I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I, first of all, I completely agree with you. I think it doesn't work here because, like, the problem in Southeast Asia is like it's not one market. Yes, right? it's fragmented. Which is a really yeah. re- it's, it's a really reductive statement. But I think a lot of people don't really get that. From the West, I agree. They, yeah. They, they want Asia as like package and they think it's just one block. Yeah. They, they're something. like, oh, Southeast Asia, you know, 600 million people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the same easy. story you always yeah, hear. Yeah, you know, but yeah. like, I mean, so that, that play only works in, in Indonesia. But Indonesia has a host of other problems. Yeah, that's challenge. a different story. That's a yeah, different, yeah. right? But yeah, that's, that's a problem. So like the money that you would have spent to scale in one business, it's not replicable or it, it, there's no knock-on effects. You have to do it all over again yeah. in a completely different market, which is to your point why, yeah, you always need way more money than you think because essentially you have to do it like five times. Correct. Or however, you know, yeah. X number of times equal to the number of markets you're operating in. Yeah. Right. And that was always, I think the, that was also a challenge with Althea too. It's like, because you go into a new market, you start from scratch. You have to build your customer database again, your influencer network. Yeah. You have to acquire all your customers all over yeah, again. Correct. Uh, and so, yeah. Which I think that points to the genius of, of how Rocket executed. I mean, they, I feel like if you're doing global expansion, majority of playbooks like, i feel like uber just took all the rocket people scaled in that kind of way i feel like like that was like the first person who really kind of wrote that and uh, a lot of people try to recreate that but like honestly like you you do want some sort of central control on certain areas yeah you want a portion of autonomy you want to hire the best but like that playback is like pretty tried and true i'd say you know at least for that period of time and it does apply maybe in a different flavor now these days because of course things are a bit more mature now but but um i don't know global expansion i mean i think it's, it's an interesting question, right? Because actually, I haven't thought about this question in a long time. Like, if you were, if I had to, yeah, if you were expand, to expand globally, to, yeah, well, or if regionally, maybe minus minus the COVID. If you take out the whole COVID, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's like a the, yeah, no one can plan for this, right? Yeah, like how would I do it again? That's a, it's a great question, right? If I were to do it all over again, for all, in, in like I can only speak to Althea, right? Yeah, cream beauty context, yeah, cream beauty context, right? I would have spent all of my time and money and attention building a huge 
Korean brand or investing in Korean IP? Well, I feel like um, for a specific vertical, it makes a lot of sense. Yes. Because that's how you win and build a molt against these kind of big platform apps where the, the play is price and assortment and convenience. Correct. Well, that's exactly right. what it is. It's a yeah. vertic- it's, it yeah. It was a vertical play, right? Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, it's a vertical yeah. play. Yeah. It's in the context of yeah. a vertical play, right? Okay, so, 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 so say you, the first layer is you build this kind of like, uh, IP and brand. Mm. Then what? Because like you could look at Gojek, you could look at Lala Move, and and you could look at Grab, and you could look at Rocket. The way they all expanded, all quite very different, honestly. But that's that's the difference, right? And this is the power of brand and media. Yeah, right? exactly. Because yeah. if you own so IP, unlike those other things, is transferable. Yeah. To to a certain extent, there's obviously limitations to it, right? Yeah. But like, I mean, Korean. Korean drama or Korean mm, culture. content culture. culture is the prime example of this. Korean culture That's a perfect point. It's why you have an opportunity for Korean beauty. Correct. Yeah, yeah, correct. It translates broadly across like almost all geographies, mm. right? Mm, mm. And then part of that is just, it's just human nature, right? The stories yeah. that they tell, it's the same human stories, yeah. right? And it's been told for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, so if I were to do it all over again, I would have probably just focused on creating like content in Korea, mm. with a slight South Asian easier bet. So it's just like you become like a dominant or like a player in Korea, and that would have like natural carry on effects. Right? Yeah, fair but enough. then also ch- fundamentally changes the business. Then that becomes like just like you're just a Korean beauty business at that point. Correct. In Korea, yeah, 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 yeah. No yeah. longer a Southeast Asian Korean beauty but business. But this, this plays to the thesis or the idea that you need to build a machine first, then you could expand. Yeah. Which is like Alphabet, yeah, or, or any, anything else who is like Amazon, right? Yeah, correct. Where, 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 where the lines start to blur, right? Correct. It was the wrong game, right? Because yeah. we started yeah. off just acquiring customers, and then we tried to build like a brand and IP behind that. After um, trying to as, go back, you're trying as, to go backwards into the yeah, we tried to back in into it when really yes, exactly. <laughs> I've point. made this mistake so many times. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. We've all done this, right? Everyone who scaled enough businesses has done this, yes. right? We really should start. Well, the the guys who are famous today probably got it right on the first. Luck, luck, like, lucked into. Well, they lucked into yeah, it, yeah, right? Into but, it, but we had to learn a hard way. Well, it's, a, it's like one of those lessons that you only understand after if you, you go through it. If you go yeah, through it, right? Because, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. let's be honest, like everyone thinks we're smarter than everyone else. Yeah, right. True, like, true, true, like true. everyone that does. All entrepreneurs have like uh, unreasonable, inflated. You need sense. that belief, though. Yeah, yeah you, you need, need that. to, like, you know. Yeah, otherwise you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. If yeah. you didn't have it, you wouldn't do it. I think that's also the weakness, right? Because yeah. then you're like, ah, it's okay. I'm unique. Yeah. Yeah, I'm special. Like, I yeah. will f- succeed where everyone else has failed. But then which, that's, like, a which, terrible... Which is important that, like, for, like, us who are low-level, quote-unquote, like, we haven't, quote-unquote, made it as big as famous people. The important thing is to hold on to that belief, that naivety. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it's a matter of just keep keep doing that. Yep. And reinvesting until you kind of get it right eventually. Correct. And of course, doing it better, right? Exactly. It's about internalizing yeah. your mistakes. Correct. Obviously, again, reductive, but not making the same mistake you made last time. Okay, so let's let's go back. What what was the main learning then from Groupon? What was the most important thing you could have gotten from Groupon that people can probably benefit from hearing? You have to understand what game you're playing. Okay. Right? And I didn't understand okay. what game I was playing. Right. Not to be fair, like uh, when I first joined Rocket, I didn't know what a business model was. I, I didn't know clue what tech was. The only thing I knew was finance and hedge funds, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. But you got to know what you're doing. No, 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 no. Not, not, not I'm not doing sorry. You no, got to know. Not, what, yeah. You have to know what game, what game you're, you're playing. playing. Right. I went in there thinking as like I wanted to, as a builder. Right. Okay. I, and so like a lot of my conflict and a lot of my emotional, uh, you know, whatever 
was because I did not understand that the game we're playing is essentially a game of financial engineering. It's a very good point, um, right? And if I could, under, had I understood that, or had I accepted that's that, a really good point, right? I would not like. I would have been able to go through it and be like, oh, you know, okay, it's fine. It's what we're doing, yeah. you know, just yeah, it's fine. Just, you know, do it. I mean, you, you, obviously, you have to opt into that, right? So if you understand, so yeah, first of all, you have to know what game you're playing. Hindsight twenty twenty, yeah, yeah, you yeah. twenty, but. And, and then obviously you have to decide whether you want to play that game or not, opt yeah. in or opt out, right? Yeah. But if you don't know, then that's where your conflict comes from, and that's where your emotional turmoil comes from, because essentially what's what's happening is like your your mind is is doing one thing, but your heart mm. is doing something else, and you're doing this divergence, right? And then that's where like you suffer. Like, well, in, in the in the case of Rocket, um, I think that understanding the game was important. That's why we lost Rideshare. Rocket could have been probably the biggest winner of right here. Like we should have been the dominant force in Southeast Asia. We could, we could have we could have just piled more money into it. Yeah. We, but there was, but they, they their mindset of the game was that they had focused on they were playing the game. And they were focused on food, which was right. Maybe a little bit timing. I think timing. Maybe, yeah. I think now is even better to probably to be looking at food and getting into Correct. it Correct. and trying to IPO it because you get better valuations probably because it's more mature now, right? Yeah. Um, but but that that idea is that like we thought we could have probably done it and succeeded but the problem is it was just a game and but like they were not looking at it carefully so we lost it yeah correct right. and on, on the other on the other point Jetsbury, wrong foundation the, the company i was building more soon the marketplace yeah. for travelers and yeah you know, um i should have realized that it was also a different kind of game because of the foundation but correct. i bought into it i thought i could make it work yeah see that led, led to a lot of pain again that's that's, that's yeah. where your pain comes from yeah right yeah you have to understand what it is what the game is yeah, what the game is yeah right and which that's yeah, yeah. Which means I think it's coming down to whether you're an investor or whether you're building it. It comes to doing enough of the work to have clarity of it before you start executing. So many Correct. times that I've started ideas that were just like, oh, I'm just, and I think this is what Peter Thiel's criticism of lean startup is that people don't really fully understand it. Yeah. So they go in circles and iterate to value to nothing. Yeah. Whereas he's saying having the longer approach, which means I think having enough clarity, there's always going to be the point. I heard this really good podcast where this guy's doing vertical farming, but he says, you got to do enough homework up to the point where you know enough, but then you, there is that point where you reach where you jump into the abyss. Yeah. Right. Of course, you're going to always reach that abyss, but a lot of times people don't even do the homework. They just jump into the abyss. It's what, easier. Right? What, what, yeah, what happens is you end up crawling backwards into a niche, end up crawling backwards into an idea. And I think the best entrepreneurs had a lot of insight and clarity even if they were wrong, that they knew that, then they could just, um, once they figured out it was wrong, you already have a foundation based on how to pivot because you already knew something. Correct. I, yeah. I, I think that's a very important point is you yeah. have to have clarity, Yeah. right? And I find that to be clarity. a huge yes. weakness clarity. in the in the industry, in the region. I think that a I lot agree. of founders I and a lot of, a lot of VCs, uh, well, don't name any names, <laughs> don't have it. I completely agree. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a region because well, this ties back to the idea of uh, indefinite pessimism uh, or indefinite optimism. Mm -hmm. yep. In the region, we're still and theoretically going through a period of indefinite pessimism for Southeast Asia where you're, you're trying to copy. Of course, it's a little bit blurred now where we're kind of maybe transitioning to where people start to try Silicon Valley style stuff in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Right, but what probably what happens is that because of like rocket internet, because of all these trends, and because of all these models that get huge money, yeah, it's just the herd mentality, and then people just trying to copy it, and you get a lot of noise in the investment side and the building side. Correctly, I mean that's a problem. That's a problem. It's just like it's just it's just. I mean, I think everyone would agree with me. Why is like it's just too much money in the ecosystem right now? So, is it better to be an investor or a builder? 
It's a great question. I suppose it depends on your risk profile. Yeah. Like my risk profile and my personality, I, I learned this a couple in the last couple of years. Is like I definitely prefer things on the investor side. Yeah, I think you have the skill set for two, and I don't know. I don't think you have any baggage of wanting to build things, right? Do you, do you want to be the the, the founder, the, the no, successful guy? No, like you don't have that, right? I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't need to feed my ego. Ego is unimportant. I don't think I need to, but uh, low key, I probably do. <laughs> right. So that's a question. Like, I'd rather uh, be rich, is what I'm saying. Well, okay. Uh, well, you could be rich either one. There's just different odds and probabilities. At the same time, you might be better at one or the other. Okay, right? so I, yes. To, okay, to your point. I think it's about understanding the types of problems you want to solve. Yeah. And the type of work, the nature yeah. of the work that you want to do. And let's be honest. As a founder, typically the problems that you have to solve, they're really not that interesting. Right? Yeah. I'll give you an example. Right? Like, like you know... How many times have you had to like figure out the customer service process flow, right? I mean, like, or acquire merchants for your platform. This is exactly or, why I didn't join Shopee again. <laughs> yeah, but, but this, is, this, is, this is my point, right? Like, yeah. what kind of like, and it's always a trade-off, right? Obviously, it's it's incredibly rewarding and to see something grow, right? And you take pride, yeah, in this joy and like, yeah. oh, the number goes up every day and whatever, right? But the, the flip side of that is like, you have to solve problems that. I personally have no interest in solving anymore, right? I've done it and I don't, yeah. I've done it, I've done it enough where I don't feel that like it, it, there's no sense of achievement or accomplishment in doing that anymore, yeah. right? Yeah. Whereas on the other side, like on the investor side, you're like, it's more, it's a bit more scientific, right? Yeah. It's more philosophical. And I think this is like where my upbringing and my background comes in. Like I come from a family of doctors and, yeah. and scientists, right? So you have a thesis. Yeah. And you go and like you try and prove your thesis, or you yeah. try and validate your thesis, and that to me is more interesting intellectually. Which is not to say that this will apply to everyone. So that's what I'm saying. You have to understand like what type of problems do you want to solve? Yeah, I mean this was interesting because I heard a Justin Khan podcast, and why he became a VC now mm. was because he had the hero complex after he sold Twitch. Mm. Right, he wanted to do it again like because he wasn't the CEO of Twitch and then, uh, and technically it came from his co-founder Emmett uh, okay. but he was just like he he founded Justin Khan TV and Emmett was part of that but yeah. then somehow spun off right he needed to go prove himself so he, he raised did. he lost basically raised 100 million dollars and lost it <laughs> on uh, Atrium right yep, yep. And but then he realized uh, in his journey of like you know uh, self-discovery and that kind of stuff which is his whole podcast but like uh, he realized he was fighting that notion and he was better suited like all the things he liked just lined up to him being an investor yeah Right and then correct. So is, is I mean is that I mean in, in, in some kind of way you're kind of saying the same thing I guess right? I mean that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean for me like my driving, uh, if if I were to be honest, I have two driving motivators in life. Right? Yeah. When it comes to this, right? Intellectual curiosity. Yeah. Is a big part of it. Yeah. Right? I agree. I, I can mean, see that. I yeah. Can see intellectual that. curiosity. Uh, and if I'm being you know truthful with you, I would like to be right. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good motivator. Knowing your motivations, of course, is very important. Correct. But I think what I like about your story on this is that it's a very bottom-up approach, right? Mm, yeah. You like so Justin Khan's almost kind of top down, where it's like uh, looking at a big picture, going down like, oh, I looking at my big ideas and what I'm following, then I should have done this. But then he's like, oh, then I should be. But you're like more like thinking about like uh, your journey leads you up into becoming what you think is best for it. I don't know. I don't I know think, if that makes sense. No, I, I get it. I, I think you're right. I mean, it's actually interesting because my this is the the maybe the best advice my, my dad ever gave me yeah right so i got laid off from my first job at the onion 
in oh, 2000 okay. and yeah. uh, 2009. Yeah, because it was during the financial crisis. I right? kind of want to know about the onion story. Yeah, I, I'll, tell, I'll tell you about it. So yeah, so I got laid off in 2009 because I mean. This is during the, the peak, well, peak financial crisis. Well, uh, in theory, the end of the crisis, because nine was in a bull market started to happen. There were still some after, no. eight, 2008 was like when it hit, right? Yeah, end of 2008. And then like, it kind of unfolded end, and crashed. End of 08. Yeah, then, but then 09 the, was the very beginning of the bull market. Like, no, the, it the bottom. No, 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 it was not. It was Ooh, not. Look at the stock prices later. I, I know, I was trading, I was trading yeah, back yeah, then, yeah. I know this. <laughs> no, because I remember, I remember like 08. Yeah, 08 was, 08 like, was in the middle. Was, was middle, because that's like when Lehman collapsed, right? Yeah, and then uh, so the way yeah, so maybe fair enough, maybe nobody. I mean, you're still feel it's still bad. It's still bad. It's still bad. It's still bad. Right. So uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. I got laid off in '09. Yeah, what I'm saying, right? Um, and that was like that was a reconciliation, right? Because like the Onion was my dream job. Ah, very interesting. Okay, yeah, that was my dream job. So why is that your dream job? Because I grew up in Wisconsin. You grew up reading the Onion. It's, That's it's, fair. It's, 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 uh, equivalent, it's yeah. the equivalent of like working for like Walt Disney if you live in Florida. It basically was founded in Wisconsin. Yeah. It had legacy. It was, it was legacy. created in the 80s. Yeah, and 80s. It was a cool. And the, was it getting traction back then? Because it wasn't as big as it is now. Like now it's a, also, look, it's a cultural aspect of America. Yeah, now. So like, the can, onion, I can, right? I can get into a whole dissection of the onion, yeah. right? But, but like, suffice to say, like you grew up, this is like, yeah. I, mean, I think like, it's a beautiful story because it's, it's beautiful, very, very organic. Right? Yeah. And then the, the, the story is like, you know, like where did the name come from? Name of onion. So, little oh, bit I want to hear this. Little bit of I read this online. A little bit, I want to hear your trivia. version. A little bit of trivia. So the what people get told sometimes is it's called the onion because there's many layers to it. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The real story is <laughs> when the founders started the company in the late '80s, they were so poor they yeah. could only eat onion sandwiches. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And well, that's the that's the. So that's the version you heard, right? No, that's a, that's the version that's true. Uh, do, did you talk to Tim Keck and Chris Johnson? Do you know them? Or Tim Keck? No, the founders? They? Oh, sorry. They're from the 80s. You wouldn't know them. Right? They weren't around. No, they weren't around. Yeah, they weren't around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because apparently one guy, one of the older like OG guys of The Onion said, oh, that's debunked. They, they said it was probably like a play on a different name of something similar to The Onion from another media outlet they thought was like uh, a satire of it. But there was one story of The Onion Sandwich one. That is the story that I got from the owners at the time. Okay, so that's, okay. I, I'm just okay. Well, I'll, let's, I'll, go, I'll go with that straight I'm from the source. That story, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's I'll go like a pretty repeatable source, right? Because yeah. they bought it from those Correct. guys, right? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Who knows, right? Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, I was laid off in 09. Oh, sorry. Uh, we should probably say, what is The Onion for a global ah, audience? So, so for, for the global audience, if those are unfamiliar, The Onion is a satirical media publication founded in the late 1980s in the yeah. US. It is um, essentially the OG of satirical of modern day satirical uh comedy media, yeah. media in the u.s so this is like in many ways and i think even stated this is what inspired like john oliver mm, uh, john stewart correct. uh colbert right yeah the, all, the, they're the og they essentially write real like okay uh, like they write full proper journalistic articles and uh and like it's actual satire. news yeah but it, but it's, it's satire so it's, it's not real whole, correct yeah. it's a whole news yeah. uh, sorry it's a whole newspaper printed uh weekly at the time uh, obviously not anymore because it's still not reason newspaper anymore yeah. but it's all fake news or satirical news satirical news satirical news satirical news, satirical news. Yeah. Satirical news. And, and, and there's been many instances where the onion has predicted the future in amazing yeah. ways yeah <laughs> at the same time it's uh, there's all these uh, subreddits dedicated to people falling for the onion, people, which happens a lot. Yeah, people <laughs> read the onion, they believe it's true, but it's like uh, it's a satire. It's satire right? yeah, so you can't correct. you can't you can't believe it, right? Yeah, so. yeah. It was. It, yeah. I mean, it, like I said, it was, it was my dream job. Yeah, and and the point is, okay, so you were doing 
What? So I, I'll give you what a quote. There? I'll give you a quote. Sure. Dave Chang stood for a beacon of hope at the onion. Written by one of the recommendations on LinkedIn <laughs> by your friend. Right. What, why are you a beacon of hope in the onion? What does that even mean? I mean, this is okay. This is a uh, different context. This is 2007 and 2009. This is like pre. Okay. okay internet okay. is kind of like developing, yeah, but yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, like I'll, give you, I'll yeah. give you. I'll give you the context. I'll yeah. give you the context. Okay. Um, can I finish my father thing real quick? Yeah. Okay. It's my father thing, right? Yeah. So I got laid off in 09 and I had no idea what to do. Yeah. Right. I mean, like I was 24 at the time, got off my dream job. Uh, economy was, was terrible. And, you know, it's the same. It's, like, it's essentially like, like almost op- option paralysis. Part yeah. of it was option paralysis. And the other part was just like fear. Yeah. Right. And my father gave me the best advice ever. And he just said to me, like, one day we're having dinner. He's like, hey, look, man, you don't need to know what you're going to do for the rest, next like 10, 15 years, but just like yeah. start doing stuff. And if you don't like it, move on. Yes. And it was great advice. Like, yes. I, it was great advice. I, I took that. Uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but I went to architecture school what? for a while. Yeah, what? I, I enrolled in Berkeley. Dude, I love architecture to, too. Uh, to be an architect, I, it turns out I'm kind of terrible at architecture. Which which aspect? Because I so in high school I took drafting, and I thought I wanted to follow the path of architecture. But then someone someone told me, oh, you need a lot of math. But my math was terrible, oh. as you know. No, my issue I think was um, I enjoyed I I think I sometimes lost the forest through the trees. Okay. Like I, I would get into this place where like I would <laughs> architecture is like this this beautiful fusion of all disciplines, right? It's like yeah. you 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 take a little bit of everything, like from like biology, from physics, from engineering, from math, yeah, from arts, and you, yeah. you create beautiful structures, right? My issue is I would think I would get over focused. On one component, of you should have been things. an engineer then, no? I should have. Yes, correct. That yeah. is that is that is the converse of that. What, what is the equivalent in a startup world? An architect is a product manager of sorts, it's basically a product manager. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, right. So you're you're coordinating between the engineer, the design. Yeah, you have to understand a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you of need everything. of everything. You, you know, got to put it together, and right? You synthesize it into one thing. Yeah. But the, I think at the end of the day, it's a beautiful manifestation of humanity and the zeitgeist of time and, yes. and what people are feeling and. Which I, I kind of wish there's more of that in uh, different parts of Southeast Asia. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, I mean, also, if I'm being honest, I also am terrible at that part of it. Yeah. yeah the yeah, tapping yeah, yeah, to yeah. the human emotion yeah. part. Okay. Okay. So, right? because, you, because, like, well, well I mean, pack- this, is, this is tough, right? Like, the best architects, the star, star architects, like yeah. star architects, right? They're able to evoke emotion yes. through space, which that, is powerful. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah. 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 When you see it, you, you feel it. You feel it. If yeah. you've ever been to, like, a Remkul Haas, uh, building or Caltrava or any yeah, of these, any yeah, of these like, yeah, famous yeah, guys, right? Yeah, yeah. You go in there and you just, I mean, obviously it depends on where you go and the exact building, and but you're just, you're all like overwhelmed, right? You're just, yeah. you're just like, you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you sit there and it's like this sense of like amazement and wonder and yeah. beauty. It's art in a sense, it's right? Art. It yeah. is art. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And I realized I could never do that. Well, the important thing is that your your father told you to try it. I tried it. The important thing is I tried, tried it. it. Okay. And then opened more doors. It was right? not that great. So let's go do something else. Yeah. Okay. So what did you? Okay. That, okay. That's a good point. How did you jump from the like your grew up in the Midwest? You're a Wisconsin boy. Whatever the hell that means. <laughs> you were in Minnesota. You studied in Minnesota. Again, still Midwest. Still Midwest. Very cold. Yeah, yeah, cold. Yeah. Uh, great experience. Like you told me before. How did you end up in Beijing then? How did you make that uh, jump? That, that's that's, uh, that's an interesting story. So I knew this guy called Oscar. I met him while studying abroad in Hong Kong. Oh, sorry, yeah. So you did a, uh, an exchange program at uh, HKU. Yeah, HKUST. Yeah. HKUST. 
and Oscar <coughs> had gotten a job at Groupon, and ah. Oscar, I got I got the job through Oscar. Okay, so, so it's usually a friend good old, who goes, good old yeah. fashioned nepotism. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I feel like you know, I, I really think about my my whole entire career in history. Like, the only time I ever really got a job was interviewing with Raph, Raph the yeah. the fountain, you know, the MD of Groupon doing rocket expansion. Other than that, though, like that was just perfect timing. Yeah. But other than that, though, like I had only gotten it through probably connections or people coming to me at the right time and right place. I I, su- I suck at interviews. Like, that's what my current job is, uh, yeah, right? This right yeah. time, right place. Yeah, yeah. Like, right, I, I realize I, that. Like I, it's also part maybe like uh, subconscious, like I sabotage these things. That I should. I don't think I should be doing them, but like uh, I feel. Whoa. I feel like the best opportunities have only come because it's just serendipitous, right? You know, through the network, through people. So, well, let's be honest, right? This is also a function of privilege. Yeah. Right. Like you. Like I was. I've oh, always okay. been. I've always been in position. I don't know about you, but I've always been in position where I've never had to take a job because I needed money. I could um, always. I could always okay. wait the, for something that I've, I found okay, interesting. Well, I think the first job sets the tone for that. That that's super critical. Yeah. Like if you have a job where you've even like any amount of small savings, you are kind of landing in that position. Correct. Okay, and that's a function of what ladder you were born into. Yes, right. the so of course, three yeah. ladder, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the Michael Church, yeah, um, yeah three ladder yeah, theory. Right. So of course, of, of course, if you're mostly middle class, as long as you have landed that kind of first gig, Correct. then you're kind of set where you have the privilege to Correct. quit at any time that you Correct. want. Of course, there's a, for the more middle class you are, the more time limit that is. Yeah. Unless you find a way to solve that, yeah. Well, that's this is this is this is the thing, right? I think a lot of people in in life don't understand this fundamental dichotomy or this fundamental construct that. You trade in a job. You trade your time for money. Oh, I realized that very. A lot of people don't realize this, right? And I I feel like that is like the biggest disservice that anyone could do to themselves. Yeah. Right. And because once you understand that, and of course, it depends on how much you value your time. Yeah. For someone like me, I value my time very highly. Yeah. Right. I only take on projects that I find to be obviously have to pay, but you know, intellectually stimulating. But I felt you were very. as a friend, and I realized this over years, that like you're very like also someone like June, like the episode two. You guys are very good at being able to value and ask for what you, because you like you said you value your time very well. Yeah, but you're not afraid to ask for it. Correct. For well, me, I'm, no shame. For me, I, for me, I'm more willing to just do whatever. But it it works in the sense that long term it can pay back. But lots of times it's very questionable. Like you just did nothing for, just you know, just to help. Right? Well, so I think this is this comes from a. a I don't know about June. I I know for myself that I got here because I feel like I got shortchanged too many times. I ah, feel like I got fucked, right? And so then ah. after you have that happens to you a few times. No, like, it happened to me many times. That's yeah, exactly. that's why I realized it. Yeah, yeah, but then I have a big ego, so I'm like, never again, mm. right? And okay, then, and then because you remember that emotion, you remember like how how bad that feels. Yeah, right. And you're like. Mm. Mm. But I also got a good lesson from the Jesuits. So my, my school is Fordham University in New York uh, City, right? Yeah. One of the biggest things is the way you serve yourself is by serving others. They force you to do volunteering, you take philosophy, you take theology, yeah, right? Enough, so, and I, I think um, I've always taken that approach to heart. You know, ever, I mean, I, I, I kind of sense I've, I, my personality is like that, but I feel like, like once it's codified, I feel like that's, a, that's the right way. And it, I think, you know, when you're very genuine about going that kind of way, it works really well, I think. That's fair. Look, I, there's, there's no value judgments here. Yeah, right? of course, of there's, course. But I, I think, like, for me, it's like, the way I look at it is, like, you can't help others until you help yourself. That's also a good point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, it's not that I, I, I don't know. I, I did a lot of volunteer work in yeah. high school. I taught refugees in college. Yeah. You know? But at the same time, right? Yeah. You also have to ask yourself, like, look, 
if you truly want to be impactful, like let's let's be honest, let's be honest, let's uh, let's decouple the emotional and like feel good vibes of yeah. like charity and nonprofit work. Yeah, and you really think about like as like someone of means, what is the most effective way you can really give back to society? Yeah, I mean, unless you have like some very specific skill set, maybe time, but nine times out of ten, it's just cold hard cash. Ah oh, man, we're talking very philosophically here, right? Because we're talking about people just look. Uh, it's it's just the story of the starfish. Uh, Carol Robbins, fav- famous um, Stanford professor, talks about her teaching the touchy feely method, mm. right? like, which is interpersonal dynamics essentially. Sure. Yeah, sure. Very good podcast. Podcast. If you just search Carol Robbins, there's a lot of stuff on her. Sure. I'll put on my uh, list. But she she tells a story of um, you know, in in the distance she sees this. Uh, okay, there's a story of this little this woman. She sees a guy in the distance bending down standing up and it, it looks like he's dancing or something as she gets closer she realizes he's picking up starfish and throwing them back in the ocean and there's millions of starfish that kind of got washed up and she says what are you doing you're crazy you can't do anything he's like uh what's the point of doing this he, he looks at her pick, looks down at the ground picks up another starfish and throws it and says that made a difference for that one right so the point is that it makes a difference even if, if it's just for that one person right sure so, I, but so there, yeah. there is meaning in doing volunteer work or even contributing, even if it's just one on one. It does make a difference, right? And I, I guess for Kyle Robin, she she took the story a little bit differently. She's like, well, my goal is to make an army of starfish throwers, so everyone just starts throwing starfish, right? Okay, I get it. I get yeah. it. I think I think the way I'm looking at it is, is, is essentially the framework is effective altruism. Yeah, because I, mean, I I honestly hear your version a lot. It's like if I become Bill Gates, I can do a lot of good. Sure. Yeah. Right. But I mean. Yes and no, right? There, there's more ways to do it. Like it, it, it may not have as much impact, but that's what it, for what for what purpose are you doing it for ego or for what? But that's, right? that's but that's exactly my point. Is like what is the purpose you're doing it for, yeah. right? So and again, there's no value judgment. So like yeah, if you do it and you want to do it with your own time and contribute like your time, that's fair, right? Well, you want the connection, right? Yeah. You want to feel good. You want to make the other person feel good. But you, the point is this: what if everyone did that? What do you mean? Everyone spent a little bit of time helping other people. That that compounding effect is massive. Whereas but I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. But I'm yeah. saying like sometimes it's more effective if if you're a person of means to donate your cash or your assets as opposed to your time. Like Bill Gates. It, Bill Gates uh, is a great example of this, right? Yeah. Like Bill Gates. Bill Gates. He's given via the Melinda Gates. Bill Melinda Gates. He's yeah. Given like I don't know what, like forty, fifty billion dollars yeah. at this point. There's no human way. Because he's not like a, a vaccine yeah, or a yeah, researcher, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no human that he could have matched that contribution by donating his time. You mean impact-wise? Impact-wise, correct. Impact-wise, because it's 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 about it's, yeah. fe- it's about effectiveness, That's fair enough, right? Because yeah. we're looking yeah. at I'm looking at I'm looking at this from the frame of value. And like, what is most effective? Okay, yeah. if, if that's what your goal is, yes, exactly. Like, I how do know. like theoretically, like, yeah. how do I help how, the maximum? How much of that is an excuse for yourself to serve yourself? 50 <laughs> <laughs> percent there you go we're being honest right but yeah, I, I, look, yeah. I, I don't think it's okay this it, it, i mean if you want to be you know, as reductive as possible you're, you're just talking philosophy moral philosophy at that yeah. point of you know is it is it right to have motive or not to do something to do good or is doing good in itself good enough right? i think doing good enough yeah. is enough that's yeah, enough, okay right? fair enough so, it, it yeah, shouldn't yeah, matter why you want to do good like i mean yeah. if you good i mean i truly believe that nothing is truly altruistic yeah you can't be that reductive. It's, exactly. it's it's holistic. At the end of the day, it's somehow tied to some reason why you're doing it. Yeah, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. You have your reason. So, so as, as long as the good happens, it's probably better. And the more, the bigger. So it's almost utilitarian. That's right? but that's yeah. Right? That's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. It's it's about yeah. value. Fair right? enough. Like maximum okay. utility. So you're maximizing utility, and yeah, that's the philosophy. Fair enough. Correct. Fair enough. That's a philosophy. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's go back. You. 
left Groupon. So, ah, yes. Hey, listeners. Thanks for listening to another episode of EOA. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, please share it with your friends and family. Give us a rating on your podcast platform. Share it to anyone who you think would enjoy or benefit this episode. So what do we learn in this episode? Technologically driven bundling and unbundling. I think there's a lot more to flesh out as there are many ways to conflate the idea. Though, if I do understand the basics correctly, it seems we are amidst a great unbundling of radio in the podcasting space. And as we mentioned, creating and owning IP in that space will be extremely beneficial. We can start to see this in the fight to control distribution between Apple and Spotify as it heats up. However, there is a possible future where more innovation happens and independent media is able to survive on its own and directly distribute, driven by all the technology that's developed in the space. If someone has deep insights on economic bundling and unbundling, I would love to hear from you. Stay tuned for part two where Dave's journey continues with plenty more insights. See you soon. EOA out.